help her sound asleep. Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 208. This week, we have a uh, awesome guest who's been with us before, uh, Brendan Strath of, uh, of um, Spectrum King and BioCat Solutions. How's it going? Good, man. What's happening on the podcast? What's going on? Like 208 episodes. That's, that's a hell of a lot, brother. Yeah, I actually tallied it up. We're, we're well over 400 hours of content now, which is... Uh, awesome and i mean some of the catalogs we have it's really cool and it's also funny to see like uh um the spikes and and which episodes get a lot of views from week to week you can see like somebody posts some repost has a discussion and reposts it somewhere and all of a sudden an old episode gets tons and tons of views it's kind of funny so you have some of our best lighting ones for anyone who doesn't know were were put on by brendan back in the early days uh the first uh two or three times you guys were you were on uh you really dropped a ton of lighting knowledge, especially in regarding uh, the, uh, you know, kind of the difference between a lot of the different main lighting types that are out on the market and, uh, and really helped uh, educate a lot of people, you know, the last couple of years. So. That's what, you know, the, the whole point of being passionate about something, want to know more about it is to get deep down the rabbit hole, so to speak, and figure out what's what. And if you're going to grow plants, you kind of have to study plants to, and see what they do like and don't like. And, I'm amazed by some companies and people who just don't do that. They just think they can either borrow technology or uh, read an article and say, well, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, until the rubber hits the road and you have live testing on real plants, they'll tell you all you need to know. And with technology changing so rapidly, you know, the generation of LEDs used to be every couple of years. Now, you know, we go through these weird turns where we have a couple of years, nothing really great happens and wham, some really cool stuff comes out and I want to study it analyze it, see if it's true, test it, torture it. Does it hold up? Will it hold up? You know, there's a new generation of LEDs that we were working with that we had some issues with because they're made differently. Doesn't sound like a big thing. However, they're made differently to make themselves significantly more susceptible to things people use in gardens. So they should use horticultural lights. You know, it's something you, you don't, you find out when you try it and you do a lab tests and you go, uh oh, well, that's a fail next what can we get this straight where's you know get that output we want and that's kind of an obsession clearly i have stuck on wanting to make the best light we can make so i understand there's some uh crazy things going on with cali law and that's actually was one of the reasons why i wanted to have you come on and i thought maybe it'd be a good place to start off and a good place to start off with our lighting discussion uh Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell everybody, uh, first off, what they're proposing in California and what the implications of that would be, and then uh, how, um, you know, you know, lights like like yours and your lights specifically can, can help, uh, you know, with that problem? Well, let's just imagine, you know, the California's got, you know, somewhere close to 40 million people in the state. And in the past couple of years, a few hundred thousand more lights have gone on to grow marijuana and they're just killing the grid in a state that already has electrical fire issues and other things happening. The state of California goes, you know, um, we have to make this all safer and we have to uh, protect our grids. So starting January, 2023, you can't grow with bulbs anymore in California, you have to grow with LED. So, um, 
I was shocked when I saw it too. I thought that would never happen, you know, but uh, here we are, that that's what's going to be. You're going to have to grow with LED. And um, I'm looking forward to, you know, that just because the simple savings and, and the longevity of the product, it pays for itself. And we're at the point now where we can put out more light than a bulb with a lot less power and a lot better quality light for plants. So the old stories of they don't do this, they don't do that, or it's not bright enough, or it's the wrong color, et cetera, et cetera. Those arguments don't hold water anymore. It's time for that change to happen, a big paradigm shift. So, so, uh, so yeah, so they're proposing that um, all uh, HPS and HID lights be banned for uh, commercial production. Now, would this also include induction lighting and, and other stuff or plasmas or? Well, not that people would jump back in a plasma train, but plasmas kind of put themselves out of the mix with some weird behaviors and also longevity issues and heat issues. Um, you know, look at it this way. A double-ended bulb operates around 600 degrees Fahrenheit when it's turned up to 1,000 or 1,150 watts, like most DEs are used. Well, that's just a crazy amount of heat. When you consider an LED fixture, if it's used wrong, if it's used wrong, might get up to 140, 150 degrees Fahrenheit, not 600. And it's also not emitting all that extra bandwidth of light that the lighting companies, bulb manufacturers don't want you to see. You know, measuring that 400 to 700 nanometers of PAR, which they call photosynthetically active radiation, that's the visual spectrum. And that's all people wanted you to see because they think, well, this is better light for what we can see. Well, if we're only measuring what humans can see and plants don't really care what we can see, they want the light they need. So if we're giving them depending on which scale you look at, one scale says 280 to 850, one scale says, you know, 300 or 350 to 800. Um, that's, I'm more believer that plants really do use 280 to 850 nanometers. So, you know, more UV than we can see and a lot more into the far reds, but not an extreme ratio. Bulbs, if you were to measure, there's new spectro, spectro radiometers that can measure 200 nanometers to 1150 nanometers. And the beauty of that is you can see where you have some dangerous UV and wrong ratios. So some bulbs give that off. But the red, when you see this, a regular bulb chart and you look at, you pretty much have a middle finger of that bright little you know, flash orange light that a bulb puts out, that that's really its dominant bandwidth. And you think that's the most, that's the most intense thing it puts out. But if you saw that spectrum after 850 nanometers, it shoots up like a stock market in a bull and just goes way up and just keeps going. It's insane how much excess heat that is, but more importantly, how much more air conditioning you have to use to mitigate the damage that's doing to your plants. It's a vicious cycle. So they use more power, but you need more power to cool them. And suddenly your production costs in an expanding market where it's becoming a commodity, whether we like it or not, you know, this is where it's headed. You got to work smarter and you have to have your production costs in check. Longevity, maintenance, simplicity of use, LED wins over, I don't care if it's induction, I don't care if it's plasma, fluorescent, anything else you can come up with that's a that's bulb origin. That technology has seen a glorious run for a lot longer than anyone thought, but the time has come for it to move on. Yeah, we also had Roger joining us. How's it going, Roger? Going good, going good. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good deal. Hey, good to see everybody. Um, 
yeah, it's uh, just got a chance to pop in here for a few minutes and, and see what's going on and say howdy do and you know howdy from Texas. Been a hot one this week, eh? Yeah, very hot, and it's going to get hotter. I mean, yeah, we've had heat advisories all week, uh, all weekend coming up. Uh, so yeah, it's been terribly hot. Going to continue to be hot. And uh, that's that's where we use our potassium silicate to uh, help our plants continue to grow well and, and deal with that heat stress. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's coming up quick. Oh, yeah. And um, <clears throat> I know a lot of the people out here in Oklahoma, some of the hemp growers in Texas, too, I've been talking to have all switched to basically working nighttime. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the plants are still in veg. You know, lights at night is not really going to be a problem. <laughs> so a lot of people are starting at 2, 3 a.m. and, uh, you know, finishing up at 11 or 12 rather than uh, sitting out there and suffering. Smart. Yeah. You have to in that kind of heat. You'll literally die of heat stroke in the field if you don't do that. Like it's just, it's not even optional. And, you know, in an aquaponic greenhouse, the extra humidity, even with cooling, it's still pretty oppressive in there in the mid afternoon. So while the plants don't mind because the VPD is perfectly that, right. You're right. That balance is there, but yeah. you're man, not very good for human VPD <laughs> <Yeah>. at all. <laughs> Your well, ability to cool down is uh, yeah. severely hampered for sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so tell us more about uh, some of the other cool things you guys have been up to at Spectrum King. I know you guys have been, especially with the, with the different things going on in the world, uh, your demand for your lights has kind of gone through the roof. The, the challenge of getting things certified in other you know, parts of the world is difficult because that that's that's a you know everyone has different sets of rules and some of the rules do are accepted here so if you get this standard they'll like they won't give it to you but they'll accept it so you can then you don't have to pr provide a whole other list of things for it but if you make any change like in europe if you make a change to something you got to start all over again you know for for your certifications and stuff so that's kind of a headache and in every country though they're part of the European Union, it's not 100% understood by the Europeans, nor is it uniform. Like I had a project in Denmark, you know, I saw lights in the UK, you know, all for years, no problems, but Denmark has all kinds of local rules that aren't even federal rules to deal with things. It keeps it, a, keeps it on our toes that way. But the Europeans are definitely more prone to using new technology because they're starting off you know, I know a lot of Americans that have gone over to Europe to run these grows. I have a bunch of American guys that went to Macedonia, went with the Greece. They've gone to Poland, Germany, F France. Uh, the French government's going to get their act together, I think, next year. And then they'll be doing cannabis, too, more openly. Spain, obviously, has always been awesome, and so has the Netherlands. But they have high, high taxes, man, so it's harder to sell to the small grower in that that environment commercial grows world over are taking over that's that's what it seems like to me so what are some of the the things that you guys have been working on as far as different lights or stuff that's really been kind of uh you know going uh going off the shelves lately well um interesting enough yeah obviously all you know the bulk of what we do is commercial cannabis farms and things but um we also have a lot of people growing food and, and they're getting more into better quality, locally grown, fresh produce and things. So, you know, vertical farms doing things that way. And I like studying. Um, the fun part is they give me a list of plants, you know, 
and then I researched, you know, what's their normal DLI, what's their normal angle of sun, what's their time of year, and try to recreate the dominant bandwidths of where they really come from. And the, the, the best compliments I get is like, the, the guys say, this tastes like my grandmother used to grow in the backyard. This is how it's supposed to be, you know? And I'm like, yes, now you understand why the quality of light is so important to get that real flavors and stuff. You gotta have it. it might be an obsession maybe i'm brain damaged but i, I just want i like figuring things out and making them work better well and, and the cannabis people are so detail oriented about even such any any little minor change and they right, right. they study the 30 different ways on how it could happen and and people don't quite do that as much with lettuce or basil or tomatoes um and, <laughs> and how many lettuce and, farmers how many lettuce farmers have you had a half hour debate over a half a milligram of CalMag per gallon, man. That's all I'm asking you to do. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and uh, if anyone out there is looking for good lights for their vegetable grow for aquaponics, sure. um, you know, Spectrum King does make the best ones out there. Uh, they make everything from stuff to do three by threes all the way up to, actually, I'll let you take, you, you can. Um, what I'm really, really happy with, because there's a lot of people starting out to grow their own food at home, and they also grow some of their own medicine. They don't need a whole artillery array of high powered things. And our new CC140 closet case, 140 watt light. Um, the next generation we're putting out right now, it's smaller in overall stature, and it puts out literally 40% more light at the same power as the previous generation. Um, did a whole lot of homework, and we, you know, the team here, we banged around trials and tribulations, and they're out now, the MLH and the CC, and they're kicking ass. I love those lights. Um, the whole idea is to make it every generation we're trying to do is make it put out more light with the same or less power consumption, better thermal management, better spectral output. That's every generation that's what we're trying to do. I'm not going to put out another light and change the color of the body. So you say, Oh, it comes in this color now when it's, it's not an improvement. Every step forward has to be an improvement on the previous generation. And then with the technology for guys using controllers, um, you know, four years ago, if you had a big farm, your controller options were like three brands of big farming ones and I'll leave their names out. We all know who they are. Then somebody like Trollmaster comes along, makes a simple controller that can program entire banks of lights and CO2 and everything else that you could program yourself in like five minutes. It costs you a few hundred bucks. So you had to spend a hundred thousand bucks on a control system four or five, six years ago. You can spend less than a thousand and have better control. So that, that's just totally opened up the orchid farmers, the, the, the home grower, the vegetable people, they just program their stuff. Even your people, you know, the, the fish farmers, man, they, they're loving the fact that they can micro control everything to be, make it just so. When, you know, if your water temperature is a few degrees off with your fish, you know right away something's up. Your nose tells you, your eyes tell you, the fish tell you. But when you get things right, you get that stupid grin in your face because everything just works. You know it was mean? funny. It was funny the other day we, we added a second blower at the, in the greenhouse just to, to back up what you're saying. And all of a sudden we had double the aeration and the fish just to adjust for the extra aeration were producing more slime coat because the, you know, they're just get they're rubbing it with the bubbles and stuff. You could actually, for the first time, when you walk by the fish tank, smell the fish because you could smell the slime coat bubbles, right? So it was just kind of funny that you could, uh, you know, very suddenly, even just a minor change in the aeration level. Mm -hmm. uh, what was instantly noticeable. So. It, it's, 
it's all the fine dance, you know, a few temper, a few degrees here, a little oxygenation there. I mean, it, it changes everything just with your feet. Even if you're doing a foliar spray with your fish stuff at the temperature, the plants will react to it at a different temperature, different in a different way. Uh, it probably is an OCD problem for both of us to, to focus like that, but that's what you have to do. And, you know, some of the growers I've taught, you know, some, uh, veterans and people that call in and say, Hey man, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I can't know what to do. I can't, can you help me? I'm like, Okay, what do you want to know? I don't care about sharing knowledge because I think, imagine back in the day, and I guess I would say this to you more Roger and myself because he appears to be in my age bracket. Um, we couldn't even open our damn mouths. You couldn't say. We had all kinds of stupid baseball signals and stuff. You couldn't say what's up. You know, back in Philly or back in New York City in the day. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was how I got into this because I was selling, you know, eight and 12 thousand watt reef tank set light setups you know with ventilation systems and carbon scrubbers to make sure you don't get bad air for your your, yeah, your you coral tanks sure you, right you, the air doesn't smell like fish in there so you want to clean it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you got to make sure you get rid of that that bad fish smell mm -hmm. all that stuff man even even guys doing outdoor and then freaking out when it got you know into mid flowering it really aromatic and people tripping balls and then people come in and steal your plants because it wasn't like I lived in the boonies. I lived just north of New York City as a kid growing up. So this was not a uh, an easy game to compete in. You know, and as time went on and, you know, technology advanced and then became okay to be a grower. And then when the laws changed in all these states, I mean, the past three years has been an amazing explosion of technology, sharing of information, advances in genetics, all the fun stuff, which makes it really cool to be in this niche. That we're in now awesome uh any other uh any other new products you guys have aside from the the, the closet one, case 104 from the bottom up you have the cc and the, the mlh the 100s 140s uh the 140s i'm very very happy with much better performance and they're going to be more cost effective soon um the 402 i'm graduating to a 402 plus i'm not changing the body style yet so i'm not going to modify it to the next full generational change but I found, like I said, with new diodes and things coming out, a better formula for to keep our spe patented spectrum, but get more intensity out of it. So we're going to be doing those. Those are coming out literally in August. So just a few weeks away. Um, same for a 602 improvement on the same thing. We get a little bit more intensity with it. We're keeping our patented spectrum. So that's going to be probably more the end of August to September. Uh, the, low, the low pro flower is doing well, but it's, that's weird. It's a light we put out and we didn't know what to expect. And it seems like when commercial farmers get their hands on it, vertical farmers for, for, for cannabis, then, then it just goes like, it's like a, it's like a flood. You know, you, you don't even, you can't find one online, can't see in the store, but I can't make enough of them because when commercial guys try it against other linear fixtures, it just knocks them backwards that they don't understand all other companies have spent 25 million bucks on marketing. We don't. We, we, we don't we don't play that way. We just make products that work and deal with real growers and the real growers tell their friends. That's been, to me, the, the best compliment and the best marketing you can get is when real world experience from real people using them. And awesome. Um, uh, so what a, uh, I, do you have a, what are you guys doing these days for your greenhouse lights? Are you doing, um, you know, for your supplementals? Right. Um, There's a lot of people that are doing greenhouses that what, listen to the podcast. We have we have a the 602 GH GH for greenhouse. Um, 
we have thousands of those out there working in, in greenhouses already, multiple thousands of them out in the field. And I'm, I'm working on a new linear one because what I'm trying to do is find a way to get more directed light with less of a visual footprint obstruction. So there's less shadows cast from the fixture itself. And with the recent development of uh, new diodes that I mentioned earlier, I can really, really get some serious output from something that might be as, as less than four inches wide and, and maybe three and a half feet long. That's gonna be putting out more light than any fixture that's ever been on the market before. That's my project for this. I tend to have it released by the end of September if I get it right. Awesome, awesome. That's and very cool. With the remote power systems on top of that, you, you, you know, this was way, back in the day, if we plugged in a 240 volt, a 600 watt fixture, we're using about two and a half amps of power, right? Well, if you go 480 volt three phase, that knocks it down even more. So on a commercial scale with, with, with huge, huge thousands of light grows, these three phase fixtures um, with lower amperage just completely reduce your amp loads. So guys don't have to upgrade your panels and add more and more and more circuits because our systems, you could have one breaker per rack unit that handles 24,000 watts of light. So instead of having you know, multiple outlets and multiple legs being broken off all these extra circuitry and wires pulled, we, we can completely get a place set up way faster, way cheaper and more efficiently with our high end, high power system. So that, that's really the stuff we nerd out on and get going the most these days. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some of the other things you've been up to? You got all kinds of cool stuff you've been doing. Well, being that the mission is to, f to find a way to grow the cleanest, healthiest, best weed possible. The lighting sides of things clearly I'm kind of stuck in that, but also on the microbial sides and with BioCat Solutions with the more product that I'm getting behind. Um, anything that can keep your lines clean, give you better roots, give you better nutrient cycling and overall plant health. And then you've seen some of the roots that more gets with your own eyes. I mean, you can't fake that, you know, there's no, there's no synthetic chemicals. There's nothing things which you may have to worry about later in life for testing. It's as simple as, a recipe of micro living microbials with a mild nutrient solution to keep them going that people didn't think was possible, yet it's real and it can stay alive for a few months in a shelf. And with big commercial farms, we're making it so you brew it right there in your own farm, fresh and use it daily. So there's no shipping of massive liquids back and forth because the, 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 with this pandemic going on, shipping rates are insane. I mean, international shipping rates are completely insane, but even domestic rates have gone through the roof. So these guys that were getting liquid nutrients and liquid additives, I mean, their production costs are going way up and their price per pounds are stable or dropping. You, you, you got to find your savings where you can in your production management. And, uh, you know, the cost of product per square foot, we, we, we kill it. Because we've already proven with it, you get more THC and you get better yields, but you also have a cleaner system. So you have less work to do between runs. So that's why we call it more because it does more. <laughs> the, the biggest thing I've noticed is it made the plant, the roots really white within about three to four days of, of adding it to the system. And when we used it, we were adding it directly to the MBBR, which is a good place to just, don't, you know, if you're doing all your microbial inoculation, mm -hmm. um, it really is the best place to, to add it. Um, I like that I have guys who use 128 position aero cloners, you know, they put out a little fine mist, they miss roots. So those things are notorious algae farms underneath the hood. 
And one of the guys that, that, that first was using it, I couldn't get him on the phone. It's not like growers answer their phone a lot. You know, you, sometimes you just can't reach the guys. So it ends up being a week or two goes by. I get him on the phone. I go, so what's up with your, your test of the clones? He goes, oh man, it reminds me of the mountains. And I'm like, what does? He goes, when I open the cloner using more, I get that fresh mountain scent like after a rain. But when I use the other one, I open my nose and I'm almost puke because the allergy is so you know, prevalent in there. Um, when you have the right balance of microbials, they just, if they're, they won't allow that stuff to exist, even certain pathogens, other people consider pathogens, we have to qualify that, um, when used appropriately with the ratio of beneficials and, and, and aerobic bacteria, uh, they'll wipe out biofilm and recycle it back into available plant food and the rest will eat themselves. The, where, where's the loss in that? I mean, have you ever opened a feed line that was a thousand feet long and saw that black toothpaste sludge come out that smells like beyond any, may I never smell it again, you know? Um, more can break that stuff down. You, you could take that line, soak it for 48 hours. One, it's really destroyed by never being properly cleaned and it'll come out looking like new PVC. It'll literally just, it'll break it all down, free it so you can flush it out and get back to work. You can soak emitters in it overnight and use them the next day. You know, so many 2GPH and 4BH emitters the guys are using for their drip systems and slow feeders. When, you, when you're using your, your teas and a lot of other microbial life, they gunk up pretty good. You know, salts and things gunk them up. More breaks all that down. That's what's so cool about it. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, we had really good luck with it here in Oklahoma. And, uh, mm -hmm. It's been uh, one of the better better things. We use that along with Recharge to uh, really get uh, get our roots super healthy and, and, you know, eliminate a lot of our issues. What I like about it is, you know, yes, it does. It helps from the beginning to the end of the plant life. But I know some growers that use it for specific things only, like, and they use it in, with less than the, the, the dose I would recommend to use it in. But they've, like... A lot of really well-established growers, as you mentioned, they have their recipe down. They don't want to mess with it out of fearing to mess with their juju. So they baby step little things. But over time, I watch their order of the products climbing because they're saying, yes, it does this too. Yes, it does that too. You know what? I'm thinking about trying this now. I'm like, well, hey, why don't you just take a little side room with a couple of lights or a little bay, one bay of a greenhouse with its own reservoir and, you know, have at it. Uh, dry nutrient farmers that mix their own and then, you know, have the dosatron, they'll make sure they're making it like, you know, super precise systems. They're worried about those fine uh, micron filters in their lines and everything. And it, it, it got those guys to do a double take when they use more and it, and it didn't do anything negative. It actually cleaned even the fine mesh, you know, 50 micron filter wasn't getting blocked up. They couldn't wrap their heads around it. I'm trying to explain to them that archaeotes and protobacteria, you could fit like a hundred of them on one bacteria. They're that small. So, you know, they're not, you're not dealing with, with massive fungi that are, that, that are dying in solution and get hit to a thing and just, you know, muck it up. You're not dealing with super complex compounds that, you know why back in the day when like you had a two-part or a three-part nutrient, why they had them in two or three parts? Because if you mix them together, it'd be a clump of gunk at the bottom of a bottle. Well, when you mix them in a reservoir and you stir them up and they get agitated, 
they they stay in suspension and it looks peaceful for a while. But when they get a feed line, they sit there. That's settling at the bottom. Every time you turn the feed off, that stuff's settling in the bottom of your feed line. And then if there's any pathogens in there, you're getting the biofilm, which goes up around the top. And over time, it's like it's blocking an artery, like a human eating junk food, you know? It's just closing off that, that line. And then your flow goes down. And then on a long feed run, you don't notice it right away. But after three runs, you're like, why is the last table not getting enough feed? Then you open one of those junction points and you vomit because you, that, stuff, that stench is... If you never smell that, anyone listening, one day you may have to, and you'll understand why Stephen and I cringe when we think about it. <laughs> it is, it's unforgettable there, stench that you won't. There is it. one smell that is worse. The only smell that I have smelled that's worse, and it's working in the pet trade. And if you have a reptile tank and the crickets oh crawl up into yeah. the into the water containers, like chicken style water container, ferment under a heat lamp in there that concentrated water of dead fermented crickets has got to be like it'll make anyone that hasn't worked in the pet trade vomit instantaneously i i, I assure you <laughs> yeah it's it's a stink bomb from hell that's for damn sure <laughs> uh, it, it's you have to have pretty thick skin and know how, how to ignore your own sinuses to, to be around that for sure so what are some of the other trends that you're seeing quite a bit of uh, working with uh, different uh, companies doing lighting and different markets and things? What, what's the different trends you're seeing? Well, um, when the, the virus came out earlier this, you know, obviously it seems like a, a lifetime ago, but it's only been three, four months of this country with the lockdown and stuff happening. Um, there was a, there was a UV like bandwagon, everything has to have UV and do this and do that. And I'm like, do you understand it's all like any good drug uv is all about the dose which type of uv a b or c and the doses make a massive massive difference and humans and uv lower uvb and uvc just don't mix bad 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 idea don't do it and um there's been some stop sale on some products that people you know oh, i need uv this so yeah you're giving yourself skin cancer by using that thing to kill bacteria in your hands Maybe you don't want to do that. Um, a light that you can't see that can really. I love the I love the UVC wands. Oh yeah, you can totally just wand your shit. Oh wait a minute, like this is the stuff they used to kill viruses. Like you, you need to wear like heavy eye protection, no exposed okay. skin, like you know, full IPM. What people or don't PPM understand. or oh, PP? Any or light? Pe or, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, any light from 450 nanometers of the blues and down, it's just horrifically bad for human eyes and skin. You know, the blues and balance with reds and like natural sunlight, you're, you're okay. But if you got to somewhere where there's like, suddenly there's 6,500K and you're on, a, you're on a, a hill skiing and your brain just hurts, even when you have sunglasses on because that, that, that ratio of blue is wrong and it's just too much for your head to take, that's when you know that you have to have that type of eye protection. Um, it's the same thing with the, with the UV stuff. You can't see it. Doesn't mean it's not there. You know, just like the extreme infrared, you, you, you're squinting and you don't know why. It's not the intensity. It's those bandwidths you can't see that are really hurting your eyes, whether it's one end of the spectrum or the other. So making a right light for a job and understanding what those bookends are good for or not good for, you can taper and sculpt and trial and error get what we did 
which is a spectrum which we know is safe for humans and really awesome for plants. You know, once you get your plants growing the way you want to, then you start looking for ways to improve so, more, so, more this, more that. Can you break down, so we've talked about this before, but can you break down the whole UVA versus UVB and what they're important for and then and then how they can help with, to, you know, uh, your resin production, but then also how uh, UVB, was that, is it UVA or B, will actually reduce CBD significantly um, in, in, in production on well, that, which is something that I've, I've, I've found you know, no, noticeable in my own testing. Well, what's ironic with CBD and THC ratios in plant, it, you could do a lot more if you know when to actually harvest for the specific results you want. The irony being is that when you, you know, if you're trying to keep the highest THC, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of harvest the crops when your, your ambers are really early on the game, you know, not, the, the more ambers you see, the less THC you have, the more CBD you have, especially if the strain has that CBG, CBN, you, you get a lot of balances, but UVA and UVB in small doses stimulate the plant's secondary metabolite production, AKA the plant's own sunscreen, which happens to be what we want more of for humans as consumption. So knowing the right dose to stimulate that production without damaging it, that production is key. You know, if someone says, I'm just going to throw a bunch of UV and that's going to make a killer. Well, if you throw a bunch of UV in a fixture, it, it's only killer if you use it appropriately. Meaning like it's a systemic response in the plants to UV. So if I take a wand and I wave it over a plant, a super bright UV lamp, and I wave it over a plant for a few seconds and move on to the next plant, I'll be okay. The plant will be okay. It'd be stunned for a second, but it'll react by producing more trichomes. If you're going to do it in a way that you have a too strong and you're going towards UVC and a lower UVB and it's too strong, you're just hurting the plants and everything you wave it by. And if there's any microbials and things on your plants and beneficial teas, they're all dead too. So now you've got dead, rotting things you can't see. And you're wondering what that odor is and your plants got halitosis. It's exhaling bad breath because you're just killing the thing and making it sick. So your nose is probably one of the most accurate organs a human has, but we were never trained how to use it. It'll tell you the truth, just like a plant will tell you the truth. They'll never lie to you, a plant. A plant will never put his leaves up high five in a room while it's sick and dying. It won't do that, you know? It also, if a plant smells awesome, Stevie Wonder will tell you what a good plant and a bad plant is, just with one deep breath. Walk into a grove, take a deep breath and go, over there, something's wrong. You just, your nose will tell you instantly. I love the fact that if you can shut off the noise, you know, with all people talking, the machines, fans, all that stuff, if you just stop for a second, take a deep breath and in a grow, you know who you're talking to because you know how they work. You, you see the plants look great, yes, but everything else is right. I've gotten, in some of the consulting I did, I, I, I've upset some people because my filter's broken, I just tell the truth. And I get in there and I'm like, um, you have root rot, you have this, you have, no, I don't. Oh, I said, yeah, you do. And I start doing my, my bloodhound sniffing and I go, it's over here. And I said, how about you do me a favor? Why don't you pick that plant right there up and smell the bottom of it? You know, and like, see, I wasn't making it up. I'm not here to, I want to help you fix the place. To fix the place, we have to find all the wrongs and write them. What caused that? This tray's too wet. This tray's too dry. What pump are you using? Does it have enough, you know, pressure to reach here? 
all the things you would think were standard, understood, they're overlooked by people who are stressed and pressing and trying to get things going in a hurry. I mean, the amount of construction that guys thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna throw a million dollars in this, this thing, I'm gonna have it up in three months. We would just laugh and 18 months later, they're going, yeah, we're not, we don't have permits yet. Yeah, someone in chat actually chimed in with a good point too. Um, the more UV light you use, the, the more it will actually increase that lease surface temperature as well. Uh, so you gotta it, factor it, that in. It's a fine dance. It's, it's, the, it's all about the dose. Like anything else you would take, I know it's a bad analogy for some people, but it's all about the dose. Um, if you find that sweet spot, the plants will pay you back amazingly so. If you overdo it, well, you're going to hurt the yield, you're going to hurt the quality, you're going to hurt the plant, and it's not going to pay you back. Um, if, if I was to do a formula of UV, I would never have a UV diode that was on all day or during the whole light cycle, whether you're a greenhouse and just supplemental or, or you're in an indoor grow. I would never have a UV lamp that was on all day. Plants don't want UV all day. If you think about sunrise, sunset, and when the sun's, the atmosphere blocks certain, you know, preferably mostly UVC, but the UV does get, you know, you have these, these spikes in the morning and light at night, right? Which trigger responses with specific reds that you get the, the plants to, to wake up, go to sleep, kind of ease them in, ease your out of their day. So the sunrise, sunset thing. But if you just remind them here and there along the way, it's a systemic response. So the power you would use to keep that thing on all the time is wasted. And those diodes, if you're using an LED UV source, they don't last as long as your as your basic reds and your whites. So is that is that still a problem? That was another question I was about to ask. Much traditionally, cool. they've been significantly lower in life. Yeah. I know they top off, but it was at three thousand to five thousand hours. It was the last. That was, that was just three, three, four years ago. That was that. That was it. That you just said, you know, three to five thousand. Then two years ago, we had some doing ten thousand. Now we have ones that are claiming thirty thousand hours, but that still wouldn't have it on all the time because you don't need it. It's a systemic response. You just need to trigger the plant to remind it at intervals, like the, some guys use the UV wand. And you know, but again, I don't like that idea because I don't want people working under that. You know, someone walking around their eyes, waving that thing around if it's not shielded properly. If you have it and you know your time sequence of when people are working in the room or when they're working on these rows or that rows, you can actually time it so you stimulate the plants without bothering people. Sequentially line up. It requires a secondary power source for the UV, but it, it can be done. Um, it's, it's something I've always looked heavily into to, to when it's cost effective to do it. That's been part of my plan for three years, four years now. now have you had a chance to work with anyone doing a turbine power or anything like that? I, I had a chance to do a really yes. cool talk with a um, guy recently. Gas, tur gas turbine. Um, sad to say that a couple of the growers there at this particular location apparently got COVID, so they're, they're on lockdown, the whole facility. But what they found was, just like dosing UV, there's a sweet spot to loads on turbines to where they just work really well. If you tax them too hard, it's, it, it's, it, their, their negative uh, spikes and drops are, are magnified. So if the manufacturer says it's gonna operate at this level, well, that's in a perfect world scenario at a perfect temperature, which doesn't exist in the real world. So we're finding, you know what, if I run it at 65, 70% of what they say, it just stays on and just works. But if I'm pushing it a bit harder to get more output, it's blowing gear. At least a couple of places I've seen. I'm, I, I think that's uh, 
a huge part of the future to a make more efficient elect electronic fixtures that to use with it, but some sort of filtration and light capacitors to stabilize their, the output of those devices. We had a question from chat. Can you can you elaborate more on the far reds? Uh, uh, and okay. Well, because uh, there, there a lot there's a lot of confusion and, and a lot of terrible information on it as well. That's out there. That's just bad. It's you know if you look at most LED manufacturers and lighting people, they call it far red, and to them far red just means beyond 700 nanometers, right? Um, if if you've been around plants, you know that there's specific nanometer ranges of reds have specific results. Um, Spectrum King has a patent on a light formula because we figured that out long before everyone else did. Uh, the far reds, meaning after 700, like for, for example, if you want your plants to wake up happy and go to sleep happy, there's a specific range, roughly 730 nanometers, that has a very positive effect. In Holland, at Wageningen, there's a, there's a professor there, a woman, that um, she does all these plant studies and she couldn't do cannabis, even though it was in Holland. So she did tomatoes and she got a 25 to 30% increase in yields by adding 730 nanometers to her greenhouse tomatoes. And I laughed and she thought, what the hell are you laughing at? And I said, well, if you knew, all you had to do is take a light meter, go outside and measure what you have, then go back in your greenhouse and measure what's coming through the glaze. You'll see that the reason you're getting a better yield is because you don't get any of that through a greenhouse ceiling. It's all blocked by the glazing, the glass. So your, your existing light temperature, and especially the older the glazing, the less intensity gets through and the color shift goes towards the blues. So these plants aren't getting the right dose of light to succeed. The irony being that bulbs, like double-ended bulbs, which so many people swear by, where do they come from? What was their original purpose? It was to heat and light greenhouses in Northern Europe. That's where they were invented 20 years ago. So, and also to reestablish parts of the spectrum that were completely missing due to the glazing. That's why they never worried about having lots of blues and HBS because they had halides for that. And more importantly, the natural sunlight coming through a greenhouse ceiling was color shifting towards blues. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm having a camera issue at the moment. No worries. But um, yeah, so um, what, uh, I lost my chain of thought here. I'm going to pull up my questions. Oh, um, so so what is the actual red that, that triggers the, the wake up and, and go to sleep? And then how Seven long before and after the plants come on really is actually needed? Uh, I've um, always been told five minutes before and after the lights come on and, and turn off, but is that really true? And, and if you, you know, look, what, if what you, is it? If you look at sunrise and sunset, I suspect it's more 10 to 15 minutes would, would really do the trick. And the, the beauty of it is, okay, if you just have, if you're running old school lights and you flick lights come on full power pretty much within the first couple minutes, that's the equivalent of pouring a bucket of ice water on a sleeping human. You wake up confused, angry, and don't know what the hell's going on. If someone wakes you up gently, you get into your day in a better mood and you your body's in a better state and it doesn't go into shock, you're not releasing cortisol and freaking out. This plants are no different. By using that 730 to trigger them to wake up and trigger them to wake, actually wind down for the day, 
you could, if you're, if you're really advanced scientifically and you want to get the biggest yield per square foot you could possibly get in a location, you would actually somewhat trick the plants by cutting a few hours off every day. You could then make your day be 18 hours long, 12 hours of light, even 11 and a half hours of full light, 15 to wake them up of a red and 15 to put them down of the, of the 7.30 red. So that's your 12 hour cycle. And they wouldn't need eight hours of sleep anymore. They could get with four. So if you had an indoor grow and you programmed everything accordingly, your staff would be tripping because they'd be, you know, every day would be four hours shorter. So their, their shifts would be changing, but you, it's been proven that you could push plants along and like your auto flower strains, you could literally get a few more crops a year that way which means your yield per square foot just goes to the roof as far as, so it's not, it's not a theory anymore. It's proven that it does work to help plants wake up and go to sleep faster, which gains you two hours of productive plant growth per day. So that, that's really crazy. Um, I had a question. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. Continue. I was saying that if anyone had thought, I mean, 45 years ago, as me as a kid, uh, delivering newspapers on a bicycle and slinging nickel and dime bags out of the same bag in the front of my bike. Um, if I had no clue there was a male plant, there was a female plant, there were different families, different strains, different parts of the world had different stuff. I had no idea. And as time went on, I learned more and learned more. You just got this, this curiosity thing, things that impress me or that I'm interested in. And, I just retain all of it, you know, whether it's music, whether it's microbials, whether it's light patterns or location of the world and quality of light, you start figuring out all these things. Like with reefs, I had some guys that they wanted to, they were actually growing live coral in their tanks These really wealthy dudes in, in Dubai. And they asked us to make them something for their tanks. And I said, well, what coral are you using? And they, 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 they said, what do you mean? I said, you said you're growing coral. So where is it from? And they said the ocean. I go, no, no. Like what part of the world is this stuff from? And when they told me and I explained to them why I asked that question, they'd never thought of it. But then it made perfect sense to them too. And it's just because the obsession wanting to know how and why to make things better. It's like the slogan was plants don't lie, people do. I stick by that. <laughs> you know, plants will always tell you the truth. Your fish will not lie to you, you know? They'll tell you what's up. If you look, if you see a fish with, with, with gray, you know, with gray cloudy eyes, you know, something's up and it's not good. If you see fish's color change and they slow down, you know, something's up and it's not good. They've already given you plenty of warnings to get to where it's that bad. But if you're observing and your, your nose works, you know, what's up because you've, you've trained yourself to be perceptive to it. And if you're interested and passionate about it, you'll do something productive for them. It's, 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 what you got to do I mean, what why else be alive if you're not interested in being alive and finding out what's going on that's just me maybe but i think that's a better way to have that keep your mind going keep it thinking what else could we do you know i mean steven this thing in some of the conversations you you and i have had privately i mean the amount of compounds and derivatives that have come to light in the past few years it's beyond fascinating it's like stars in the sky we thought there was one it was called thc no it's only one part of a massive constellation and then 
you know, Dr. Raffaello Mishulam just came out with a whole new thing about these acids that started early, early cannabis. Uh, and boom, it opened up my head to like, wow, I have a whole new band of subject matter that I have to know more about. And uh, I don't know, I, I have make very, very mixed feelings about his latest announcement. I'm not well, going to lie. You know, any guy that's 88 years old and is still studying weed is cool by me, right? Uh, but yes, is, is it perfect? No, but he's willing to keep trying, digging and finding and pushing the science forward to get other countries and maybe make things legal. If this country I, I, was legal to study this stuff, you know how far ahead we'd be? I disagree with the idea of patenting cannabinoids. With, sorry, I didn't catch that. With patent what? Uh, with patenting cannabinoids. The, the, the no, new no, pat thing is... Uh, that side yeah. of it, that big farmers going to influence that and big farmers probably paying for him to study. Um, yeah, that, that kind of thing, I, you know. I and have to know that one of, one, of the things, one of the things I have mad respect to Ethan Russo for, for leaving GW and, and coming back over to the, the light side and leaving the dark side... Uh, uh, mad respect for him because he was right there that same level, you know, working for GW Pharma, you know, the, the most evil cannabis company on the planet, um, you know, and uh, told him basically I'm, I'm done with this and uh, walked away. And then uh, I had a chance to meet him out in California. And, uh, you know, he's working very closely with, with Dragonfly and, you know, the, the very opposite end of the, the industry from what he used to do. <laughs> So it's pretty cool to see some people find the light, but then you got other people like Mashulam who just want to patent everything and you know move everything into a a corporatized pharmaceutical version, which, in my opinion, is a very dangerous book. Well, when you do, do well, you we, we saw how that that test was it Portugal or Spain where they had thirty four patients and twenty eight of them died or something like that. So. With the synthetic uh, cannabinoid, was, so you know this, this is a very dangerous road. Sativex and what was the other one called? Oh, Sativex yeah. and um, oh, what was the other one? But they they lost a lot of the patent rights for the the CBD version. Uh, hmm. Oh, what's somebody in chat can tell me that what's the GW Pharma patented CBD? Marinol. Uh, no, that's the Marinol is the THC, the synthetic THC. Um, can it, can it, uh, uh, Somebody, uh, up. I can't remember. Yeah, I'll think of it. But yeah, that aspect of it, there's always going to be profiteers. There's always going to be um, people who step over that line. So the rest of us know where the line is because we watch them step. But you were line steppers. Well, yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, hell, some of the people within my own orbit, I mean, I'm amazed at some of the things they do because I wouldn't do that. But in their perspectives, that makes sense. That's how you do stuff. Uh, Epidolex. 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 There it is. Yes. Thank you. Whoever that was, thank you for putting I, I was not going to come to my head right away. There's a downside to going senile. Can't yes. Remember. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I have the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even high right now. It's just me losing oh, my memory. Long sobriety is the mind killer. <laughs> I think that's in Dune, right? I let the fear pass through me. Prolonged sobriety is the mind killer. Didn't Muad'Dib say that in Dune? I do not know. <laughs> I'm just making a bad sci-fi joke. <laughs> Anyways, 
Um, <laughs> what are what are what else you got going on over there? What uh, what are the other big things that you've been seeing uh, in the industry working with a lot of these bigger growths? I say that the, the the trend towards um, I call it a, call it a bit reactionary, if you will, but you know, there's people that go want to go pure pure old school organics, and there's a place for that, and I'm not I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm always going to be curious to know what everyone's doing so I can kind of get a bigger picture and understand what I could do to help with that. And BioCat Solutions More was a perfect example of, of the guys who are using straight mineral salts, you know, Jack's 321, Front Row Ag, things like that, like just really getting good results that way, but also having massive cleanups and massive other negative pathogen growths because they weren't having anything to keep them in check. Um, microchelation and nutrient cycling in the rhizosphere is plant magic, you know? It's just something, when you understand it, that your plant knows the buffet is always open and they can have whatever they want when they want it, and you see the exponential growth that that induces, why wouldn't you? You know, why wouldn't you add that to your to your, your formula, to your recipe? You know? I, keep, I keep trying to explain this to the people in Oklahoma, like different farms and different people I work for out here is like, ditch the plastic and put the the cover crop you'll get lower temperatures at your zone and you'll get a far better microbial diversity and you, you'll end up using the same amount of water they're all worried about nutrient stealing and and water stealing and it's like you don't understand by having that water temperature or the ground temperature 15 degrees colder that's going to make a huge difference to your evaporation rate night and day the oxygenation Especially in the top three inches but you know if you lower the temperature of the soil that much, the oxygen ratio on the roots is exponentially better. Well, not only that, let's just talk about it financially. Let's just talk at a five acre level. For five yeah. acres, it is over two, it's around $3,000 for all the plastic to put, up, put it down, rough ballpark. It is just a, not even $1,000 to do five acres of cover crop that you could turn around and resale. So doing uh, time, creeping la uh, uh, culinary lavender, uh, uh, creeping rosemary, stuff that you could cut and resale all, all 12 months of the year. Two of the ones you just touched on, the the, the culinary lavender and, and the rosemary, also keep some pathogens and pests away. Oh, yeah. Cul culinary lavender yes. and thyme. You, you you plant that and, the, and the, you plant all three of those with, with, the, with the rosemary. You won't see bugs in your grow. They, they fly over and they see this toxic wasteland of, of essential oils. And they're like, dude, I'm not dealing with that. And they'll, they'll keep going. You had like you know, some... make, the whole idea is to make it as un... you don't have to make it perfect. You know, don't make it perfect for the insects. Make it unpleasant for them to be there. Make, mm -hmm. make cross. If you're in an indoor grow, make crosswinds and make it a bitch for an insect to fly across your room. Like make it really hard for him to fly a straight line path across your room you start doing stuff like that stuff cannot fly from one end of the room to the other it has to leapfrog around and it means they don't spread as fast and you know a lot of this stuff uh, changing the humidity dropping the changing the temperature changing the co2 levels changing all these different things radically for a short period of time and just making it horribly unpleasant uh, we've talked about in the past doing russet mite treatments or other mite treatments doing 120 degrees uh, for one hour and yeah, things like yeah. that making it just incredibly unpleasant to be an insect in that grow it, it, you know, they're going to find a place where it's not horrible to be the same way that humans do. You know, humans don't live in Death Valley very often, right? Something they go visit it, but they don't live there. 
No, but something with, that was, I think it was Roger mentioned earlier about it being really hot in Texas and using specific things to keep his plants going and de-stress them. Yeah, silica uh, in particular makes a huge yeah. difference in producing heat stress. When you understand how plants absorb and use it, and you don't do a foliar spray with it, um, that's not my fault. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we, the cell walls to retain moisture and hold themselves up and not wilt and break. Well, particularly some products make plants very photosensitive. Regalia is a very common product in some markets, illegal in others, but very common product in some markets that's used quite frequently on a wide range of products, powdery mildew. But if you use that in the middle of the day in the high high sun, it, it's going to make your plant super photosensitive and you're going to get sunburn. You know, they, it's going to really screw up your plant. If you were to walk out there and see your plants tacoing and turning leaves and things, they're kind of telling you, uh, that's not the way to go. You know, yep. oh. And then you post a picture of it, 50% of the people tell you it's russet mite. <laughs> the other 50% of them tell you cow bag. <laughs> well, but the, you know, when someone's been uh, suspecting they know what's wrong, and having had a problem once, they're shell-shocked by it. Whether that's the tr absolute truth, what the problem was, that's what they believe it to be. And as the saying goes, whatever you believe is true. You know, if you believe that, uh, you know, the sky is purple, to you it's purple. And everyone else is an idiot. If you're open to the world, you go, oh, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure that's kind of a shade of blue. And you might be a little bit, you know, they're going to call you an idiot. But the rest of the people go, you know, maybe this guy's right. Let's look at this. I've seen things at first glance like I was completely wrong on, you know, like a manganese deficiency can remind you of certain insects of what it does. Uh, it, it's, I mean, how many people, you know, can even pronounce the word molybdenum and know what it does? Does anyone know what strontium Not only that, but molybdenum is so, molybdenum and manganese both are so horribly underdosed, like almost universally in every grow I go to. When I do a soil sample and, and especially people are like, dude, my purples aren't purple. And it's like, well, yeah, you're, you have no chemical ability to produce anthocyanin because you don't have the precursors. But, but not, not just that to trigger, to have the right doses of those trace minerals, but more importantly, to know the right temperature and humidity to trigger those responses that the plants are waiting for in their natural environment. Again, knowing where they come from originally, knowing how to reproduce that environment will trigger that explosion of colors, you know, the purples, you know, you got to cool that night. You, you're, if, you, if you want your purples to pop, I mean, drop your nighttime temperatures 12, 15 degrees Fahrenheit, unless five degrees. That's that's sativa weather, you know. Well, the, there's a way to cheat, though. Uh, so plants will actually bind anthocyanin to, uh, in the event of molybdenum toxicity, uh, they'll, they'll use anthocyanin to bind it up to get it out of its blood, basically out of its bloodstream huh? uh, for, for an oversimplified explanation. So. Right. Um, you can actually use a again mild <laughs> and molybdenum toxicity to force heavy anthocyanin production. Trigger it to trigger it. To yeah. trigger it to trigger it, and then to force it to be a heavier expression to make those purples black, or to make that purple mm. neon purple, or mm. you know fuchsia purple, like anyone Scream has seen. Screaming. Like the, Scream like, uh, I, yeah. I posted a picture a while ago of a uh, uh, melty head slothy grows. Uh, um, you, you can find him on YouTube. I, I think his, I forget if it's Slothy Grows, Slothy Heads, or Melty Heads, or whatever. He's been on the show before. But um, he had a, a black beard that was just, it looked like someone took a circle and then airbrushed the, the bud. 
Like they were just so beautiful. <laughs> like and it looked artificial. Straight yeah. looked fake. Um, but I saw it with my own eyes. Like I know for a fact that it was legit, and it was because he had that dialed in. Like he paid attention to it. Uh, right. And, and something. Same thing with lettuce. Uh, in fact, uh, we just there was a question on, on Reddit today, and I replied to it on on uh, reds and lettuce, uh, and their their lettuce not being that that red color that they were desiring, and and uh, and I recommended sodium molybdenate, you know, and uh, because that you know it's required. If you don't have that, you're not going to get it. You know, period and it doesn't you know you do have to have those other factors either high light intensity or temperature swing or whatever the triggering factor is or cold temperature or whatever depending on the crop but if you if you if you have that and you don't have the molybdenum it's it might be light purple but it's not going to be purple purple and you, you're going to not get that same sales appeal that's going to fly off the shelf you know if you have a neon purple a blue an orange or rainbow bud it's not going to sit on that shelf very long there's a nutrient brand that I worked with 11 years ago. I'll leave them out of it, but they, the owner of that company had that figured out that one little detail right there. And, um, you know, some of the indigos and things we were growing back then people were like, how did you do that? And I wasn't going to give away the special sauce, you know, cause back then you didn't, you know, especially California uh, product labels. If you can't give a guaranteed dose over 1% or something, they don't even want you to write it down. So these trace minerals that are, you know, micro percentages of a single percent, but are so crucial when you, you know, just like the UV, when you know that little fine line, you hit that spot and it's just the right amount. It's crazy. Strontium is another one that, that no one ever hears mentioned, but if you have the right little microdose of strontium, your plants uptake of calcium is improved. Their overall health, we could change in two days. Like some people never thought Epsom salt was that efficient for, you know, you've seen it. You could take Epsom salt and fix plants overnight if it's a couple of simple conditions, make them turn yeah, right around. magnesium deficiency, absolutely. But if if you can't identify it, you know, if you don't, if you don't know what you're seeing, you could look like something else. You, you kind of then they start feeding more, and then they have burn tips, and they have this, then they have that. If you just oh, understand. what's even better is when you have, and this is the, I, the example I love to use to people because you can replicate this all day long in a closed system in aquaponics. Put a UV system on a small aquaponics system and watch how quickly everything gets phosphorus deficient. Not phosphorus deficient at all. You you test the PPMs of that phosphorus. That phosphorus is exactly where it was before. That didn't change none. What did change is the bioavailability of the iron, the zinc, and the manganese, right, right. which are now yeah. completely unavailable, which totally lock out the phosphorus. So you yeah. can dose all the phosphorus you want and ain't going to fix it. And mm -hmm. this is where people have to have an understanding of of Mulder's chart and some of the other things when you get into diagnosing mystery plant illnesses and, and trying to figure out phantom discolorations and, and, you know, just unexplainable things when everything else seems to be perfect and you get a water sample back and just something's horribly out of ratio. Well, yeah, it's locking out X, Y, and Z. And that's why you're having this issue in maybe I have to horribly overdose something temporarily, but it's going to bring everything within ratio and suddenly everything turns green again. You know, I've, I've walked into rooms that were, in fact, I would, well, in the last year I was at a grow and they had um, a room and their nutrient mix did not have iron as part of the, <laughs> just wasn't part of the thing. So everything like was just chlorotic as fuck. So, so, so all I did was add DTPA iron to the, the mix and suddenly everything looked glorious. Yeah, within, within 48, 72 hours, it yeah. was like, I had, you know, magic had happened and the whole room was right. green again. 
the source you know? but you have other deficiencies that take a lot longer to recover you know so it just depends on what it is too not everything is healable quickly some things aren't you know if you have a copper deficiency or something there is zinc you know, horrible zinc deficiency it, those plants are going to have to really regenerate most almost all that tissue you're, before you're talking weeks to worry yeah um the the beauty of microbiota is that they'll keep that stuff in balance if you feed them properly and they'll microchelate and they'll serve the doses and they'll clean you know, if you're an aquaponics they'll help clean your fish too um, just like humans have bacteria in our skin that we don't want to think about um, fish need certain bacteria on their scales to keep them clean to keep the prevent build out and if once you understand that and get that going the colors just like we i mean the you get the magical shiny little reflections and stuff and the, the fish move more. It changes everything. The right balance of, of microbials. In oh there. yeah. Uh, just to, to harp on molybdenum a little bit more, a lot of people don't realize molybdenum is needed in order to convert nitrate back to ammonia uh, in order for them to actually use it, that, you know, the actual form of nitrogen the plants can use. Right. And, and if they don't have enough molybdenum, I've actually seen aquaponic systems that were completely stripped of molybdenum because they had dosed iron, they had dosed, counted for everything else, never touched the trace minerals. And because they were running their nitrates at between 60 and 120 parts per million for one to four years, Jesus. the plants had just sucked it all up trying to process that that nitrogen because, or that nitrate and converting it back to ammonia. So, you know, again, you, you go to a system that has 140 nit nitrate and you know 0.25 or even one part per million ammonia in the water and the plants are nitrogen deficient but the moment you add molybdenum boom everything is big take nh4 nh3 down nh2 and all of a sudden it's, it's fine it's crazy yep. the, the complexity of a molecule the more complex a molecule the more effort the plant has to to to, to, to try to produce enzymes to break it down if you break it down for them essentially like i said earlier open the buffet so they don't have to stress and waste energy breaking down complex molecules. It's a flat out win. <laughs> just flat, just the, the benefit to you, the plants, the cleaning, everything's just easier if you just give them what they want and establish it and then know how to measure it. You know, one of the problems with guys in gardens is that just like anything else with a dose, more is not always better. You know, you gotta, you gotta back off the throttle sometimes. Um, a grower, I know, this is with cooking. That's the best way I like to put it, man. You overdose, you're going to know right away that you overdosed it or chili powder. You know, you're going to know real quick that you yeah. added too much. <laughs> and a, a grower friend that just got back into it was out of it for a couple of runs because he had some, let's say, legal issues to contend with. He got back in the game and he sent me a picture of his first crop and it's looking good. And he goes, hey, man, um, what's up with this? And I look at his plants and I go, you got to back off the nitrogen and give a little bit, just a little bit more CalMag. You, you, this, this strain is super nitrogen, new, sorry, nitrogen sensitive. And it was, you know, it looked perfectly healthy, but it had the, the little, just little clawed tips, just the very tips were turning down. He's like, I've never seen that before. I go, it's just a hair too much nitrogen and, and, a, and not just a little tiny bit uh, of Epsom salt, just, just a half gram. And that's the guy we had that I told you about earlier, had a half hour discussion about a half gram of Epsom salt difference. But that balanced it out for that strain. You know, um, every strain, is not, there's not one feed fits all. There's not one, there's not one VPD chart that fits all. You can and 5%, 5% of all strains are going to fucking hate whatever method that you do. 
Doesn't matter. <laughs> they, they, whatever it is that you're doing, it likes everything else. And, and you just have to remember that, that 5% of all phenos will just hate whatever it is that you're doing. If, if you're doing DWC, it wants media bed. If you're doing media bed, it wants soil. Like If you're doing indoor, it wants outdoor. Like it just You're doing something wrong that it's just going to bitch about. When I walk into a facility that's got six rooms and 13 strains in one reservoir, I go, um, I just say, you know, again, I throw a number out there. I go, your yields are about this on average. And like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people that run that, it, it, I have the same issue with people that do the aquaponics that don't do the dual root zones. And it's like, cool. So you're doing like, 20 strains with one nutrient reservoir and you're doing absolutely no maximization with any of your production like and then if you do do it so let's let's just say if you go the other route and you do decoupled now i have eight, 16 different reservoirs to manage or i can run one reservoir and then just auxiliary feed every different strain as needed and, and not have to do shit you know it just it's just it's the amount of control especially when you get to commercial scale that a lot of these people simply do not understand because they haven't grown thousands of cannabis plants at once. They don't understand when you're trying to do, you know, you, if I'm doing this commercially and I'm investing this much time and this much square footage, I need to maximize the yield of that plant. Not just and I need the level yield. of control to do that. The consistency, you know, for every, every cycle. It's a resin factory. It, that, that we're, we're not doing anything. Other, it's a resin factory. And if the yeah. resin factory is not consistent, we need to change. Right. And finding families or, or, you know, kissing cousin plants that are close enough to where you can put them in the same bay and give them that same reservoir. You know, I keep telling people, I said, why would you put an 11 week tropical strain with an eight week mountain strain and expect happy things to happen? Nobody's happy in that room. You know, everyone's screwed for one reason or another. But if you took that, put it with this guy in this room and separate these guys over here and then fed these guys this much and this guy's this, you know, this, this, feed level all of a sudden a couple of days later things start turning around and then they think they're the master and they're going to do it again and they, they don't realize that it's it's as much as i know there's still plenty more to go it's still learning new things and figuring out stuff along the way especially when it comes to the microbials you know it's yes. so and we've talked about this at length on the on the aquatic side i've done a whole hour-long talks on this on how little we know and how little there is mapped out when it comes to aquatic microbes that can increase uh, plant production in terms of mineralization. And 78% of those aquatic ones can survive in a terrestrial biome for more than a month. So, or, you know, repli continue to replicate or, yeah. or whatever. So, or continue to be functionally useful. How about that? You know, the so, hot springs in the deep sea that, that they're pumping out this, you know, basically underwater volcanoes. Um, the minerals they're spewing, if you could capture that and bring that back up, which I know a company in Canada was doing that, um, amazing, amazing benefits for plants. And no one would ever put the two, two and two together. Why would a microbial from a hot smoker make my plants grow better when the, you know there's no known correlation between the two? Well, if you look at the tube worms and things, <laughs> if you look at the tube worms around those hot smokers, they're like genetic freaks compared to ones at different levels because they have all those trace minerals. I'm seeing the wolf in that one. There's definitely a wolf going on there. You Maybe. have to explain for people who aren't seeing you, Stephen, what, what, why I said oh. that. Oh, yes. This is my little happy little hybrid that I acquired. Gorgeous dog. Yeah, he's quite the cutie and very well behaved. 
very obedient. So he just doesn't leave my side, and he's he's good. And he was whining; he wanted to come up on the bed, so I figured I'd mm-hmm. I'd let him come say hi. I think everyone would like to see him. Nice dog. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. His name is Draco, and he's my little guard buddy. Goes with me to wherever we go, all the different farms and different things. We have some new stuff we're working on, uh, or I'm working on. Uh, recently wrapped things up with uh, over Organic Innovations and uh, working on a new project we got going, on, or I got going on here. And uh, we'll have more on that here. Hopefully in 30 to 45 days, we'll have some cool stuff to show you guys. Nice. Kind of doing some uh, construction and whatnot in the meantime. So that's be, be pretty fun. We, of all the ways to grow, every aspect of it, when you find the niche that interests you, I mean, any person, if they truly wanted to, to open their heads up and step into this, the, the learnings, it never ends. There's always something new and exciting to figure out. I mean, cannabinoids, we thought there were only 13 just 20 years ago. I mean, now there's hundreds. And now the, the ramifications of interactions between them and balance and ratios, and you and I talked about CBG and CBN and you know, knowing by itself, this is worth that much, but if you don't have it in balance with the other ones for the synergistic effect, it doesn't matter, you know? Like these guys can make their synthetic THC all day, all they want, I don't care. That's not gonna, you can have 80% pure THC, that's not gonna give you the same effect as a well-grown, balanced plant. Just isn't gonna do Oh, and, and I, I often love to tell people, you know, the, of the last two years or three years that I can recall, the strain that I can remember getting the most screwed up on Mm-hmm. was a uh, uh, 16% and I don't even remember what the strain was but it was by from Dragonfly Earth Medicine it was a 16% something and it just had a terpene profile that just rung my bell like yeah. just oh my gosh just kicked me a straight do, you know drop kick to the face like where am I right now what but it was, you know but, yeah <laughs> you know, but this is something that was less than 20% and, and and the market is dominated and this is something that I'm very concerned with because We've already seen strain extinctions with long flowering sativas. We've seen a lot of the old skunk strains that are not easily yeah. smell mitigated, you know, disappear. And we don't know what, what terpenes were missing or not being present or what ratios are not being found. And now we're seeing the same thing happen with everyone chasing these stupid high THC strains and all the new markets because that's what everyone wants because people are not properly educated. And this really is a, a, a thing where we need to do as a community, a better job of educating people that are coming into the cannabis community on terpenes and their importance of their medical importance and, and, and educating the consumer on the importance of not chasing THC, not balance and dosing, you know, if you make a good cake, it's, there's not one star ingredient. You know, if you, if you cook a good steak and you prep stuff, it, there's not one star ingredient. You have to get the, the whole sauce in balance makes the difference. I mean, like you said, you had this strain which wrecked you, which on paper shouldn't have done that. And I've had ones that made me completely effing paranoid, but that's my body chemistry. Where someone I know is like, this is my favorite strain. I smoked that. I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to touch that one again. I had a bad, you know, few hours because of it. And other ones that make other people hyper make me relaxed. You know, it's, it's understanding your own body chemistry, but also the overall effect. I mean... For someone who's got too much going on in his head and has ADD, that's I'm that guy. Um, I found a strain like Bruce Banner completely refreshing because I could finish a project, focus, lock on it, 
put it away and move on to the next one. Like better than I ever could, even as a kid in school, if something interested me, I could ace it and instantly, but if it didn't, it wouldn't get in my head. You know, um, that strain like that allowed the focus to, to kind of bring you back into get that thing done. I don't care if it's physical labor of, you know, changing a tire in your truck, whatever it could be the strain that can bring you back and kind of calm you and focus you. If I'm, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that I don't want to get wasted lit. I want to be comfortable. I want to be feel good. It's crazy. crazy. Well, some, sometimes I want to get wasted when I'm trying to go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> the ratio is changing from when I was younger. You want to get lit more and more about hey, pain management. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to sleep? Uh, you know, when, luckily, uh, I love it. You know, I figured out things for me that work, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So tell us what, what, what is your, uh, what, you, what, what works good for you? Um, well, not to get into a long diatribe, but I've, I've been dead twice and been through a lot of major injuries and I've had a handful of surgeries. So, um, I kicked my own ass basically a bit of a daredevil. So broken this, broken that, I have a plate and screws in my neck. Um, I deal with a lot of pain and stiffness. And what I found was that a simple diet change made a massive difference knowing what foods you should eat. And it all comes back to closer to raw, closer to natural, you get the better you feel overall. And uh, even, well, again, it, it, it's a personal taste thing. There's some people who are never going to start eating, you know, buttery steaks because that's their thing. Um, I like a good piece of red meat, but I'm not doing it every day. You know, uh, dose, back to dosing, all about the dose, how much, when, time of day thing. Yeah, but the only addiction I have left truly is espresso. I, I friggin' love coffee. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> and good weed. Uh, nothing better than open up a, a jar of something really cool and taking that deep breath. That changes it all. That makes it all worthwhile. Now, see, Stephen, now you're making me Jones, so I'll go get my dogs. So they're not here with me in the office. You'll By the way, Brent, Brennan has a super awesome dog who uh, will probably scare the shit out of most people if you saw him in person. But Yeah, awesome. Bluto, Bluto is uh, a tank, but he's a, very, <laughs> he's a very happy tank, but he's definitely, he's a, he's like my Harley. He's a lowrider wide glide, you know? <laughs> He's yep, not yep. even up to my knee. He's not even up to my knee. And he's well over 100 pounds, and there's no fat on him. Yeah. We had uh, someone in our, uh, Frosty in chat goes, "Yeah, it's just as crazy as everyone making wine just to make it as strong as possible." You know, yeah. The, the point isn't just to get drunk. Right. When I, when I the, I had a a really big awakening, but especially when he's talking about wine. When I I lived in France for almost seven years, my ex is French, and um, when I was over there. I mean, uh, I got to know wine well, because I knew a guy about a thing. Um, just because I grew up in a town neighborhood by New York City, we, you know how it is back east, you know a guy about a thing, this is my guy for this, this is my guy for that, can we get this, can we get that? And in France, I learned the language quickly because I'm paranoid and I wanted to eat. And as I learned French, I started realizing how they did stuff. Let's say this super expensive bottle that was cost $300 in the United States was grown on this hillside. But the neighbor next to him couldn't afford to pay for the for the for the appellation contourné, which is the, the the French label of saying yes, you're the real deal. I could buy the same wine from the same hillside for five bucks. And if I took it to a wine snob in any city in the world and poured them a glass of each, they couldn't tell the difference. 
And what it was, I had a, a brother-in-law that was at the phone company where the buddy was at the post office and the post office trucks would do runs for us to his vineyard to bring it back in the truck. So we were, you know, we had a little wine business going on. I was over there in the nineties. Uh, same thing. When you're passionate about stuff, you learn about it. You, you, you know what it's worth. You know what you can do with it. It's, I dig stuff that I find interesting and I want to just keep learning and keep figuring out ways to do it better. Bring a problem. I want to solve it. That's just part of what, what gets me up every day. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll have, we'll have some cool stuff to talk about before the end of the year. Yeah. Sure. I suspect that the deeper we get in these rabbit holes, we'll solve a few things that uh, we'll have some surprises on that from, oh, yeah. from your Thank side, you. from my side, from a combined with other people we know, I think we'll have some fun for sure. Oh yeah. Indeed. Um, what uh? So um, you know what uh? Is there any kind of trends for old markets versus new markets or things like that that you're seeing uh, in, in the market? You work with a lot of you know kind of both halves of the the coin, and and I do as well. And there's definitely a pretty huge difference between one side and the other. Um, what I'm finding is that production cost management, whether you're organic, production cost management process replication and cleanliness are the not just the buzzwords they have no choice everyone's being you know now you're going legit now your shit's being tested now you have to pass this ppm this all that all these levels you start getting this linear path to getting things to be just so and then be able to now you've done it now you have to do it again now you have to do it a third time and a fourth time now you know exactly what your yields are. And the problem is now you have an investor telling you, well, I, I, you know, our margins aren't good enough. Well, then you have a guy going, okay, you want more margin. Guess what? I'm going to grow this strain once a year and it's going to go for three times what everything else goes for. You can't be done. Yes, it can. And the, oh, yeah. the artisan grower, the art, the true artist that brings out that thing, you go, what the, is that? Oh my, you know, I don't want it every day. But that's like, you know, if you're, if you're going for that, that 18 year old bottle of scotch, when you have it, you go, it's just, it's a mind blowing moment. And there, there's still people getting three and four K a pound for good shit, but yeah. you better have something that's different and it better it's be a longer right. flowering and something that just isn't in that normal market, well, and, you know, for whatever X, Y, Z reason. But what you just, throughout the course of our conversation tonight, you've dropped a few pearls of wisdom that if people were, were, were studying and paying attention, and I'll break it down to the simplest executive summary. You pick a strain, you study it intently, you understand what compounds do what to trigger specific responses. And in 10 cycles later, you're getting 4K a pound because you took that one and you took it to the next level. But if you're trying to be a one size fits all Coors Light of weed, you're never gonna get, you're never gonna see that. I would much rather get something right and then repeat that process and feel really good about it and then teach people how to maintain that process then start another one you know that's the guys that are really successful i never met a guy who's really successful that has 60 strains on his farm never once but i met a guy that has you know he counted strains on his fingers you can you can you can pheno hunt start with 60 no, strains pheno, you no, need to get it down to 24 or 100 strains absolutely oh yeah but, but live live production garden the successful guys, they don't have dozens of strains going on. They got a handful. Oh, they got one or two dozen for sure. And, and then shit they're working on. Right. Well, <laughs> they're having their fun in the pheno hunting room. 
yeah, and, play, and playing with and the breeding and so forth. You know, some of my good friends here in LA, I mean, 20 years ago, everyone talked about up north. 10 years ago, no, 25 years ago, they talked about BC Bud up in Canada. That was such a big deal. BC Bud, BC Bud. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then it was Northern California before that and after it. And the past few years, just luckily that, you know, that we're, we're Spectrum King and BioCat is based in Los Angeles. I mean, some of the weed coming out of LA, I'll put it up against anything from anywhere in the world. I mean, these guys are just doing amazing things here. And then when other states went legal, their protege went to Oklahoma, went to Colorado, went to Michigan. And now I know guys that I'm dealing with, hey, man, I'm from Glendale. I'm like, oh, you know, when did you head up to Michigan? You know, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And then one of the guys I'm dealing with a project in Germany, they're still trying to get their shit together, but he's from the high desert here in California. How he ended up over there is a funny story, but that's, I'll let him tell if he gets here one day. But, oh, yeah. I met, a, I met a guy in Kadoma, Zimbabwe, fucking humble. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm in this club and there's dudes. I was like, wait a minute. There's a, a white guy with blonde dreadlocks. There's another white guy with dreadlocks. <laughs> wait a minute. He's got a Cali accent. Wait a minute. I know you. You were at the Regen conference. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Never expect it. Never expect it. I was in the Czech Republic a few years ago at, at, at a Canafest and, you know, we got, we went to that country. We didn't bring anything with us due to where we were going. And then we figured we'll find something when we were there. Well, we found we were there, but it was, it was hideous. It was just bad. You're trying to be polite to people. And then I say this, man, you know, uh, why don't we can find anything decent? And this guy goes, I know an American. I go, okay. Like, he goes, no, 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 no. Hold, hold on, hold on. You're going to be here at your booth. Well, yeah. He sends this guy over. He's a Vietnam vet biker who met some like 15 years younger than him, Czech woman, 25 years ago, went to the Czech Republic, has never had a legit job. He has a garage where he grows extremely good buds. He has his, his strain, his one strain. That's all he does. And he slings it for donations to keep his, his family going for the past 15 years over there. And uh, the guy, you know, three, four, I guess, yes, three, Four years ago. Damn it, it is four years ago. He was already pushing retirement age then. And that's what he was doing, just period. And then I met a Vietnam vet in Arkansas growing the best Afghan I have ever had. A guy growing it in that hard clay soil in backwoods, Arkansas. Man, that was amazing. If, if you have a closed mind, you'll never find it. If you're open up and your nose works, I've had some surprises, good and bad, of people you cracking these strange places. To, to back that up, though, living down in the Oklahoma-Arkansas border-ish area, you know, the soil here very much is really similar in terms of calcium and iron content and manganese content to Africa and, and, and to a lesser extent, well, not little bit different from jamaica but it's it, it's very chemically similar to where i was in africa with a couple of the minor differences the, the jamaica's got the more the volcanic activity so that that, that soils jamaica's a lot more magnesium in the soil yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. 
That's cool stuff. Again, we're, we're, we could get lost forever if we could keep going this way, Stephen. We, we get too carried away with it, but yeah. Oh, that's... yeah, but these are some of the best episodes. I, 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 I can't tell you how many times I've referenced your early episodes for lighting guides. People are asking about lighting. I'm like, no, nah, there's a guy who did like three hours on like everything you can need to know. Just just, just check out the old podcast. So no, it's been it, a great it, resource for many, many people over the past. I mean, if there's, I don't care if we're even lighting competitors of mine, if they want to just talk light science and stuff, sure. You know, the whole point is, you know, we bring everyone forward if we share knowledge. We, we improve everything if we just say, you know, fuck ego, pride is not going to help your life as much as you'd like to think. I mean, look where it put our president. Let's just get ourselves into an adult conversation and, and go forward. Figure stuff out. I love, you know, you get into a conundrum, you study from all angles, and then somebody says this one thing, you go, huh, didn't think of that, problem solved. If you don't open your mind to hear what that person has to say, problem's not solved. You didn't learn anything. If you're not learning anything, you're stagnating, and just like water, stagnation doesn't go so well. You had any good questions there? Absolutely. Yeah, we had another question from chat. Actually, something I meant to bring up a minute ago and kind of got lost because we got off topic and I want to find it again. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Was about um, compost. Hold on a second. Poppy keeps trying to, he wants to play right now. Um, <laughs> Ectothermic um, <reaction> compost? <laughs> no, about, uh, okay, I read there's two ways to break down compost, microbial and bacterial and never heard you guys discuss bacterial i think you meant mycorrhizal or fungal and and bacterial um so the reason why we don't talk a lot about bacterial at least i haven't in the past is because in aquaponics we that's kind of the main uh, in 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 any kind of aquatic biome uh, bacteria and archaea and the non-fungal components are a a infinitely more dominant than the um just, just so anyone uh, listening, it's own simple thing. A compost, a compost heap, right? You're going to have fungal dominance simply because of all the cellulose and lignin. Fung- yep. Fungi don't live well in solution. So if yep. you're in an aquaponic world, you have to deal with archaea, protobacteria, and bacteria, and ciliates, and you know, all those things because that's their natural environment. They're fine in solution. You know, They flow in rivers. They flow in deep ocean. They come in rain, you know. Um, they run, they, that's how they get around. If you study mycorrhizal colonies and you could, it's so trippy. If you were to go in the, in the woods and gently overturn some soil and some leaves by a bank of birch trees, then you see pine trees, then you see, uh, the, and you go down the hill, there's an oak tree. Each one of them have species of mycorrhizal fun- fungal colonies that are specific to the type of tree. Like they know that this species of mycorrhizal, uh, whether it's Conigi or Trichoderma or whatever you want to get in there, they take specific nutrient ratios that benefit those plants. So they've learned to grow and live side by side in, symbi- in a symbiotic relationship. Um, farmers have been tilling the earth and treating with chemicals for so long that most of the soil in California in the farm valleys is, is dust bowl dead. And when someone like Fukuoka well, you know, his book about no-till gardens and soil. People, oh, no, you have to till your gardens. Like, no, you don't. The whole point is you're not supposed to. And like you said, your cover crops. You're, the only, 
the only time you really need to till would be if the first time you're breaking a field, you need to A, get all the rocks out of it. So run, you know, tilling it all up and then running a rock break through it just for the sake of your own sanity is is really nice. And then two, you can also amend in any organic. So you can go get a bunch of straw or grass clippings or or leaf or or, or leaf mulch or or regular mulch or or whatever it doesn't matter or, or put down a bunch of green mulch you know yep. put it put a cover crop in and till that in if you're in a really clay soil or you know i hate the shit but a lot of people love it put biochar in there you know or whatever but um i don't i think it's snake oil and i've tried it on a six acre plot and i could prove to you mathematically that it's snake oil but hey if it's your thing and you think it'll help you um yep. you know even that's going to help it these give you some surface area for microbials um you know so this is the kind of stuff that you know helps a lot and where you really need to, to make sure you're accounting for the other big oh go ahead i was saying if you take a deep rooting plant like a daikon or a carrot you know mm -hmm. you have them daikons are great right you have they're they're like jackhammers man they'll break any soil open so you get them in there and once you have daikons then you do your cover crops like the things you mentioned earlier and all of a sudden the microbials can get in, the worms can get in, and then everything just starts coming back. And you, you gotta dedicate a couple of years to it. If you know if you're composting on the side and you're using, you know, like you cover it, let it let it get hot, let it really get into breakdown, you know, the anaerobes do it. When you take that stuff and you spread it over the top of the soil, the balance goes from anaerobes to aerobes, and now it's great for your plants. There's a balance, the 80-20 rule, like in business school, everything else, it's with microbials also. You know, it, it, there's people say that's no, it's an anaerobe. It's bad. Or this, it's it, it's not that simple. It's balance. Establishing the balance for the results you want in your soil, in your feed regime, in your compost heap. You know, one of my good friends that used to fly his own plane from Humboldt and fly his stuff down to San Diego because he had a dispensary there back in the day when they first. And uh, he was taking all his grapefruit, citrus, all of his stuff and just chuck it. On the, on the foot of his trees. And everyone was saying, your weed's so citrusy, you want to know it's a strain, it doesn't make sense. And he would just smile because it was that simple. Everyone thought he had some crazy comp complex thing. All he was taking was citrus throwing at the base of his trees. He was doing two things. A, he was telling a whole lot of bugs to get the F out. And the citric acid was helping to break down the soil to, to chelate, microchelate nutrients and break down and feed the plant also. So the aromas were making into the plant. It was also a preventative to help keep certain pathogens away. I mean, you th who would ever think that if, if you're peeling an orange and had some leftovers, you just chucked it at the base of a plant and walked away. You, you, some people, oh, you're polluting. I'm like, actually, no, I'm doing the plant a favor, but you, we'll, we'll see this is different. If you took alfalfa, you know, leftover alfalfa and just spread it over your soil, your ground, your ground could be like concrete clay. Spread alfalfa and put a tarp over it with some water. And a month later, you'll be able to put your fist in it. It'll get hot, but it'll, it'll, it'll break it down. It'll actually make it re reinvigorate that surface. Once the surface is invigorated, you get a deep rooting plants in there and you start the cycle. In, in the tropics, in the tropics, we take a bunch of, uh, we'd mow the lawn and put it in trash bags. Puppy enjoys new dying on the treads. Um, <laughs> um, the, <laughs> um, so we take <laughs> we take the plant material and put it in trash bags and then uh we, we put it out in the sun and when 30 to 45 days but you know simply being in the tropics and cooking off we'd wet it really well first so it's kind of putrid to be frank with you 
but after you know 30 to 45 days it's black gold i mean it looks just yep. like the black gold you buy black gold number four at the normal compost place minus yep. the light um and, you know other than that you wouldn't know a difference it, it's there's no sticks there's no nothing it's just in the tropics all those microbes are evolved to live in those warm temperatures and they will just go gangbusters and as long as they're not going you know above 180 and you're not you know what people don't understand is your anaerobes and your and your aerobes they're not mortal enemies they play to each other's strengths and weaknesses it's they balance no, it's very it's very similar to, to Mulder's chart. And I, and I talk about this when I teach my, my commercial classes that your microbes, think of your microbes as the different minerals on your Mulder's chart, right? Your, 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 your trichodermas and your, your bacillus and your, your uh, uh, acetobacters and your, your, all your different groups have their own place on that circle. And if they're out of ratio, you're going to suddenly have a problem. That's why sometimes you see people will try to treat different uh, root problems with trichoderma and they will uh, uh, suddenly have a, an explosion of trichoderma that nukes a lot of their other stuff and they start to have secondary problems just, just as one simple example hmm. well it's not the one size fits all cure for everything yet. Well, each environment needs a balance and this is where things like imo like korean natural farming's imo dosing or liquid imos and and, and lactobacillus and, and, and doing complexes of microbes that are, are, are you know, more of a wide range uh, mm -hmm. to kind of fill in the gaps as they're needed colonization wise, because if there's already a heavy population, they're not gonna live very long because they're not gonna have a whole lot of food. Uh, so, you know, you can really help fill in any extinctions that you have. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> <laughs> not, <laughs> you're oh yeah, he's going down. <laughs> he will not be ignored. You're 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 gonna lose that. Power. No, he is. He is. He wants my attention in the worst way right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey, you know, especially when dealing with hybrids, he's my second hybrid I've dealt with. The last one was a koi dog. This one's a wolf dog. But um, they tend to be more uh, more obedient. But you, if you you can't, they are uh, you cannot keep them isolated by themselves for more than like an hour. No, no, they're by themselves for more than an hour. They, they're, they're they are social animals. They, they need affirmation and confirmation. Yeah. As well. They need a kitten. Up. Yeah, it needs a house cat or a kitten or a human, a television or something. It needs something to feel like somebody's there with them. Otherwise, mm -hmm. he's a little bit nervous. But other than that, he's the most obedient dog. I mean, three months old and he's already uh, better trained than most dogs I've ever had before. So. And that's at three months. Mm. Uh, he does that as he bites my arm. <laughs> he's, got, he's got to establish a new paradigm for you. Um, oh, yeah. So it, I'm going to recapitulate just this stuff because we hit on a lot of things here. But, you know, obviously, sure. life and, and microbials, you know, it, they go hand in hand because you stimulate a plant a certain way, you start seeing certain reactions. And one of the things that we noticed with our lice was that we would get plants would actually need more CalMag and people would, wouldn't understand that. And I'm like, it's the recipe of the lighting inducing a certain reaction plant that wants it to process things a different way. There's no one size fits all. It's just because you grew this temperature, this humidity and this nutrient dose under your HBS bulb does not mean it's automatically the right recipe for every other light source or outdoor. You know, I tell you, I have the easiest time with outdoor growers. They said, just, we just brought the sun inside your plants are going to act like outdoor plants for the most part. So you, you'll be able to see the same things. You'll see it more clearly because the 
high CRI of our lights, you can actually make out the details better. But that's such a benefit. Intensity is great. Bulbs work because they were intense. But when you round out the recipe, because plants eat light. A lot of people wrap their heads around that. Yes, they, they uptake nutrients, but they eat light. So if you give them a better menu to choose from, they eat better, a more balanced meal. The end results, the same strain, 400 HPS and an LED in two different rooms with the right environments right for each lighting source. Well, the plants will look like they're different strains at the end of the cycle. They won't look like the same plant at all. The colors, the height, the structure will be different because the plant's very malleable. It adapts to, it's quite called weed without reason. It wants to live. And that dog is going to do everything in its power to not be ignored, Steve. You're, you're screwed. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I even I gave him peanut butter. I had to get up for a second and gave him a peanut butter bully stick, and he still is more content with the look of my dreads. If you guys can't see this, I'm cracking up because I'm watching a dread suddenly you know, dance off into the distance. And I know that Steven's not grabbing it. And it you know, at least he's quiet about it. He's not, you're not but, growling and snarling while he's pulling on it. Oh, yeah. For, for anyone listening to the audio version, um, I, I'm sitting there talking and randomly different dreadlocks from my head are just being <laughs> suddenly yeah, moving, moving on their own free will. I was like, the dog grabbing them. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, is there anything new in the California market aside from the, this potential uh, HID slash uh, high pressure sodium ban that's going on? What are the new trends? What's crazy new things going on out there? I know they're talking about possibly uh getting a little more sane on the regulation side on well, in other aspects california government and sane don't always go hand in hand they kind of it's like they go too far one way and then i said more sane not not sane. yeah okay sane er sane est yeah sane ish we'll go with sane ish I, I did live in california remember but the the rules are changing but what i'm liking about is not just that people have to go led you know, that's, that's a few years down the road. Yeah, that's going to be a big deal. But I like the Design Lights Consortium, the DLC listing where to get the rating because we started off when they first started asking us questions about it, uh, Spectrum King and a bunch of other lighting companies gave our input. And then when they got everyone's input, they came back to some of the people and we, we happened to be one of those companies they came back to with a bunch more. And when we explained why we wanted a new standard, what the new standard was for and our logic behind it, they took to it. And now we have this new lighting standard, the you know, S640 and, you know, the efficiency, U moles per joule for, you don't know what that means. It's, it's, it's a nerd ratio and equation, but essentially the efficiency and the efficacy of your light from the plant's perspective can be measured. Taking a meter and measuring what humans see, par, lux, lumens, that's what humans see. That, that's what scientists 40, 50 years ago thought plants used because they couldn't measure the spectrum. And, and that was based on candela, correct? Well, even candela is in the beginning. It's all based on what humans can see. Well, when you start measuring what plants actually use and you measure all of that, then you start understanding the ratios and the weights of specific bandwidths with others. There's algorithms and ratios to it. When you get that and you can now measure a light's output in you know micromoles per semen you know, moles per joule it, it's avogadro's number you could you could get lost in in scientific sciency even facts because a lot of guys spew them as if they're gift on them but all they did was read the label on a package um 
when you understand the benefits for plants and for a gauge to rate if a fixture is worth your money or not, um, it gets really interesting. You know, even like with nutrients, yes, you need nitrogen, you need phosphorus, you need potassium, you need all the micros also, the micros and macros, you need all of them. Well, because something has that, if you have it in the wrong form, like for example, you mentioned earlier, having you know NH4 and plants not being able to break it down, not building up and creating an awful stink somewhere. Well, if you could have something to break it down NH2 and that's like junky food for plants and it's instant uptake. So, you know, cold fresh fish hydrolysate is one of the best things for plants, for terrestrial plants, because it, it facilitates their ability to uptake nitrogen. So when, when you have, understand how to measure stuff and how, what form it has to be in, like you mentioned earlier, down to ionic form, so it's easier uptake for the plants. They're not wasting time, energy, creating enzymes to break those compounds down, uh, you start seeing more success and you start seeing how the puzzle comes together. Knowing how to measure what your light actually does give you as far as, you know, some companies, LED companies advertise LED watts. That means absolutely nothing. If I take a five watt LED chip and I run it at five watts, it's gonna be bright and hot for a specific period of time, then it's gonna go off a cliff. If I, if I balance them out, run them efficiently, let's say I run it at 50% capacity, something in a five watt diode, I run it at 50% capacity and I've put 400 of them in there. So I'm actually running a thousand watts, but they call I have 2000 LED watts. That doesn't mean anything. You, your fixture is using a thousand watts, which to me for an LED is way too much power, but it's just to show you that there's certain buzz phrases, quantum dot technology. Uh, buzz phrase sounds impressive, doesn't really mean anything. An LED has an output, which is usually measured in lumens. Uh, lumens are for humans. I know people say that, but you have to start somewhere. Then you see the spec sheets and you see its output at what milliamperage or amperage, what power it consumes. And then you figure out your power source and your drivers, you, know, you put it together in strings, run efficiency you run effectively. The whole point is to get a fixture to, to the public that wants to use it, that's going to grow a healthier plant, better output of terpenes and compounds, but more importantly, it's going to last you for years. You know, if you bought a Corvette and it was only good for one race, would you buy another one? Probably not. If you buy a Ferrari and it stays tuned and doesn't need to be in the shop every other month for five years, You'd be the happiest. You'd be the happiest and the only Ferrari owner in the world that had that luxury. They don't do that. They're super sensitive. Need a whole lot of maintenance. When you're in cost, your money is being spent to produce a consistent crop. You got to know your variables: your lighting, your feed, your environmentals, your soil, or your media. Once you've established what you're trying to do and get good at it, you want to stick to your sauce and then you know baby step expand on it you get it. You, you understand that you're going to save a ton of money and have a better finished crop at the end, which you can make more money off selling it. And you spent less money producing it overall. There's your win. I know that sounds crazy. Maybe it's a bold business theory, but it really is come down. It boils down to that executive summary. Work smarter, not harder. Let the plants do the talking 
And once you study them, and you learn what they need, microbials, air, vapor pressure deficit chart. It, it, it does make sense. And I have guys who still fight me on that. And they'll say, no, man, you got to go at 75 degrees and 40% or you're going to have mold. I say, no, no. That's how you go under HPS for specific reasons. And those reasons no longer exist under different light sources. You have to accommodate what the plant wants. And I stick to what their natural environment is. You know? Oh, yeah. Getting, getting people used to higher humidity is, is very hard, especially people that are very tent grows and, and used to very small indoor grows because they're so used to doing that. And there are strains that are basically systemically susceptible to, to I'm sorry, stutter, specific pathogens. And uh, I had a customer you just don't grow and, tell me, and tell me that my lights created powdery mildew. And, and I said, um, he said, I'm, I'm, I've been growing black line and I just started laughing. And he goes, what the hell are you laughing at? And I said, black line. It is like the main the, the most sensitive strain to mildew of any strain I've ever seen. The worst, the worst one I've saw was blackberry cookie. That's pretty, was pretty awful as well. You breathe well, on it wrong, I guess. Yeah. And it's and it's a low yielder, so like it's such a high risk plant to grow. But that's just a yeah. separate. Well, that's a whole other thing, and that's that's you know, and I'm glad you bring this up. That's one of the biggest problems as a consultant that I see is is that people go, they spend a bunch of money on a strain, or they go to a convention, and they drop two, three, four, twelve thousand dollars and they're going to grow that shit because they spent a bunch of money on it and it just not adapt into their climate and they're fighting it tooth and nail and they're dumping a ton of IPM. They're, they're losing crops. And it's like, dude, just burn everything that gets PM in your climate. Like, fuck it. Just stop growing everything that gets PM in your climate. Grow, you, you know, you got all these other strains that are fine. Stop pulling your hair out and just ditch everything that doesn't like it here. Like it's yeah. fine. Like it's no big deal. It, you know, chalk it up as a loss, as, as an expense, but stop fighting yourself. And it's, I've, I've had that battle countless times with owners or had growers. It's like, look, I get that the, you got a boner for this strain or this is the flavor of the month. Your grow isn't going to grow it here or your method of growing is not ideal or cut out for this yeah. or you know, makes it particularly susceptible to X, Y, and Z. If you get up in the Himalayas, are you going to grow sativas? No. If you go to if you go to the, the, the Jamaica, are you going to grow? You know, try to grow Afghan. You you can, but would, would would that be your easiest choice? No. But if you if you took a Congolese and took it to Jamaica and grew it, it's going to go insane. You took Blue Dream there, it's going to go insane. You know, Colombian Gold, all those Maui those streams back in the day, Thai Stick. You know, they want that damn Miami soup weather. You know, when you step outside and your clothes start sticking to you right away, those strains love that. So. If you're in an area like the prime example, Oklahoma, where it's going, gonna hot, it's going to have, yeah. it's going to be windy. You need hardy strains. And yeah, you need Durban, Durban, Swazi, and Malawi crosses two years in a row now. And this is the second year. The Durbans are just crushing it compared to everything else because mm -hmm. they're adapted to the climate here. They're, they're used to the high heat, the weird yep. humidity that goes from super high to really low right, and right. back again in, in one week's time that they're used to all this type of climate. And, and, and they just absolutely love it. They thrive in the heat, but not everything will. And, and especially Indicas, you, you, you cannot come into to Oklahoma, like, like you're saying, and start, you know, I'm going to grow, you know, uh, OG Kush in your, oh, in your indoor room. Sure, bud. 
but you go start you put a field of that out there you're gonna you know good luck with that one because it's not made for this heat it's gonna foxtail you're gonna have all kinds of stretching it's gonna herm you're gonna have all kinds of just as one example I was just saying that you're gonna have neighbors suing you because the pollen's gonna grow from your hermy plants all over. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think they've wisened up enough to start suing each other over pollen yet, but it's coming. Well, it's sad to say it'll happen eventually. But you know, it's it, the recipe for a good grow. You got to start off with where are you, and what are you gonna, you know, what's your objective? You know, like you you just mentioned, I mentioned before. If I'm if I was living in South Florida, I already know the strains I'm picking. If I also I'm doing an indoor, then I'm spending a ton of money on on climate control, you know. And then I met a guy here in California that's up in the mountains, pretty high up, and uh, he has a pretty funky recipe. He's growing some killer killer indicas, and um, his temperature change from day to night in his room. This is indoor grow. But he takes the, the mountain air in, he just wails it in. He drops his temperature 25 degrees every night in his room. And the kids love that, man. They'll, they'll, they'll love they every They love inch. it. When you're in week five of flower and you do that, those color, by, by week six and a half, the colors are trikes. It's, it's like, it looks like diamonds on, ne- on neon almost. You know, like, that's how you do it. Give the plants their natural environment type conditions, what, they, what they've been doing for way before anyone tried to patent them. They've been doing this for millions of years. Uh, there's your success. Don't slap the, your favorite weed for nighttime and, and your cousin's favorite weed for daytime in the same room in the same reservoir, same conditions, expect them to come out the way you want because they're not going to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're in a greenhouse or an outdoor environment anywhere from Southern California across to just about Mississippi, unless you're in super high mountains between which there aren't many of them um give up on growing indigos that way unless you're indoors and you can create that environment right for them but you'll do fine with all your your hybrids and sativas you'll do beyond fine you had a a question in chat what's the best high humidity strains that you've encountered tie stick tie stick i mean it could be to the point to where your eyes are you feel like you're crying it's so humid it's just so wet and it's just thriving, doesn't even get anything. Um, I destroyed a tie stick plant here in California because I had to put it outside because my stuff, my system failed. And it, it like you said, it was sunburnt. The, the weed literally turned brown and bent over in a couple of days it was over. You know, it's just like, you know, oh well. It was just a throw, it was, it was a one-off plant I had just because it amused the hell out of me. It was like seven and eight feet tall. Like, and, like putting a plant out on a 103 degree day. Well, putting it outside in LA in a day where it's 110 degrees and like 20% humidity, yeah, it just it just gave up. But yeah. if I had to plant 90 degrees and 90% humidity, it had been perfectly happy. Jungle, jungle plant, you know. I'm um, something that Brazilian, that wild Brazilian strain that does that too. It's it's disgustingly. You got to create South South Florida basically, just muggy, 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 hot, humid, even like to the extreme of EPD, almost to the point where that might be pushing too far. And that plant's happy there. Whereas there's so many hybrids now and so many parts of the world have made the same hybrid, but gave it a different name. And when, you know, when you start recognizing dominant traits of families of plants, which are clearly linked and, you know, 
closely related, we'll call it, you find the environment and the specific things like if it's indica dominant, your, your daytime, nighttime temps should be a little bit more extreme. You know, if it's pure sativa and sativa dominant, you know, they don't like big temperature changes. They don't like big humidity changes. They, you know, they're Goldilocks. They're like, I would even say my OGs, I call them the divas of the weed world because they like it one way, basically. You know, and you, once you get, know the way they like it and you get good at it, you'll, you'll crush it with them. But your, your window for excellence and error is pretty small. Whereas if you kill Blue Dream, fine, because that plant is really hard to kill. If you, you grow Blue Dream, I've seen guys get a pound and a quarter of Blue Dream, and I've seen guys get three and a half pounds with the same exact same cuttings from the same tray. Just because the plant is that malleable. And if you understand a selecting a handful of strains, not too many, a few strains that have similar diet requirements and environmental requirements, and then replicating them and do get them consistent means you're onto something. You've got a system. The guys that make stupid money for weed that can replicate, they've done nothing but study the plants and look at them every day, not once in a while. That's a seven day a week gig. Sorry. You know, yeah, you'll take a vacation. And when, when, when you're, when you get to the point where you can hire people to work with you, you take a vacation when they're cleaning and chopping down. Right. And you come back for the reveal, <laughs> but, but, you know, the rest of the time, I know guys that have been doing this for a very, very long time. And some of them are very well-known, famous people. Every night, if they're not there, they're logging into security cameras to check their shit and yelling at people. You got to get in there. You got to get the row three. I, I've, I've met some really famous people. That's how I am. If I, if I can't, if I don't have all the control, I can't fix it. Uh, and it's because you'll have nutrient problems or past problems that'll fuck you. You, they, and that's something else I've had issues with doing consulting is, you know, people have to give up control for a bit in order to actually fix stuff and then get with the program on what's working. You know, if, if we suddenly separate. switch the sprays to something on a yeah. set schedule and it's working with for powdery mildew and you suddenly want to, you know, change it up. Well, you might very well have a powdery mildew outbreak, but you need to be able to make sure that if you're going to make that gamble, that you can handle it, maybe test it out on one of your mother plants you can afford, or that, that's about to be rotated out, or you know, even down. maybe on a test room that's already, you know, old moms, or or maybe, hey, here's a plant that we've already flowered out that we could just, hey, fuck it, let's just try it in here in a room that's mm -hmm. already done, that we're not gonna do any, you know, we're not gonna get any flowering tissue off of it. We're strictly pulling the seeds off. I don't care if it gets PM at the end of the day. That we're just making internal seed production. Let's let's try it. You know, what I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you can afford to experiment with. But I, I regularly see people experimenting on their main production room, and it's like, are you insane? Because if this doesn't work, you just shot yourself in the face. And and, and I see that happen over and over again. And it, imagine this. I don't understand why people do it. Imagine an eighty thousand square foot facility that in one grow to the next failed almost all lab tests for heavy metals and molds because they thought they should try this new thing in their production rooms um i know well, my, that, my, i've known them for my a favorite one is is compost tea randomly spraying completely un 
unstudied compost tea on the plant. That's a easiest way to fail microbials. Um, but people preach it. You got you got idiots out there like uh, what's his name Scatola Granola out there saying, "Oh, let's just eliminate uh, was, cures spider mites, cures russet mites. You can cure russet mites with compost tea." You know, that's the biggest lie that's ever been told in in, in all of cannabis. You know, he, great way to waste a whole burn a whole greenhouse to the ground and and kill a whole crop. You know, you, you can absolutely kill them if you make a a, an IMO collection with my, with uh, actually specifically target the microbes that feed on, on chitinase and, and shatan, but you can't just shotgun blast it and hope it works. It's not how that science works. It's not how microbial collection, microbial isolation. This is the type of stuff where you have a concept, someone gets a bright idea and then misconstrues it, puts out a bunch of bad information. And then now we're having a hard time getting an actually qualified well-studied microbial product or methodology actually taken seriously by the food safety board <laughs> um <laughs> uh because uh you know you have people putting out garbage information that is you know mm -hmm. maybe on the right track but you know they're also introducing e coli and salmonella because they're not actually doing a good job of doing their collection or of their whatever and it, it just especially when you're trying to merge the religion of organic with the science of organic and trying to suss out what's actually there and what's what's just made up bullshit, even um, which there is it. a lot of, and it, it's it's one of the things that also on the organic side of things is holding everything back. I mean, you have people out there preaching all kinds of nonsense, you know, crystals and all kinds of other shit. Everyone knows that it's not going to do a damn thing for your plants. Come on, like let's just be serious for a minute. There's nutrients and microbes hey. and and light and and air. That's what grows the plants, not magic and hocus pocus. Not 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 talk radio, not just but um yeah, not good positive energy and good feelings. Well, even if you deal with, with, with micro microcurrents and trace things that can be quanti actually quantified scientifically, you might be onto something like the natural vibrations of the earth with grounding things will help a, a raised bed. But to to get past the ignorance of people spewing inaccurate or false information, you got to do the homework. Now, if someone tells me, hey, you have to put this on your plant, well, I'm going to read about why. Not because oh. you know, homies, somebody's homie said, this is how you do it. Doesn't There's mean another good bro science, the whole peroxide for PM. Well, I'll just wash it off. <laughs> that was a uh, good, good old Jorge on that one. P you know, Forrest Gump said it best, stupid is stupid does, but what what stupid if if your production run if you've gotten decent yields and now you're going to change up your regime you got to do that in a test area and if you're willing to risk then maybe you do a treatment on one one row of a room but until you've tried true and verified for your location that this is right for your stuff you are a flat out plain insane to, 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 to implement a change to your regime in mid-stroke. You're guaranteed something goes wrong because it, it, it's exponential, the variables. Which one did what? Well, if you change this, change that, change this, you've you got to test it first. It's just, I'm numb from people that bring someone new in, it's going to fix everything, and he starts changing things to prove he's somebody, and it all goes to shit. And then by the time they fire the guy, they've lost an entire, entire, you know, 
entire facilities worth of crop that they can't sell for shit. It's off to the extract. So, so, so the so so let me just on the other side of the point. The the other big problem is a lot of times you have owners that don't actually fully commit to someone's full IPM regimen or nutrient regimen. They yeah. do fifty percent of it and then everything can go sideways. And it's like, well, yeah, you never address the spider mites no, or you never address the 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 X, Y, and Z that was that that you know you ignored that part of the pest management program and now you got a whole problem or or you know it, just as one example or whatever you know hey you know that that's the reason why it had nothing to do with the consultant it could have you know hey they just didn't order shit on the schedule they were supposed to and yeah, I, yeah. I've had that happen to me on grows where we've ended up having to you know maybe not kill a room but certainly fall behind on what we could have done if yeah. stuff had just been ordered on time. Um, I just dealt with a grower actually nearby here in the, in the valley here in, in Los Angeles. And uh, he had a really good run. But the owners had it in their head that he should get this yield. Like, this is what we have to make for us to make yeah. money. And it's like, well, that's not realistic for a first run in a new room by a new grower. We got to learn the room, dial it in. And by the third lap around the track, as I call it, now you're starting to hit momentum and start picking up. You know, and that's what they're doing. But then what they did to him was, well, you know, we can get this brand of cocoa cheaper. Well, that brand of cocoa proved to be so dirty and full of cadmium and heavy metals that they lost a whole bay that they used it on. Well, just to give you an idea, one bay was 10,000 square feet of crop failed on but banned for sale. Oh yeah, and that's I, I, that's another big thing. You know, owners need to not second. If someone specs something out, don't go second guessing it. I had that problem last year. The idiots up at Reap up in northern Oklahoma. One, I, I, I'd I'd spend twelve hours researching the cheapest thing that fit the exact specification. They go ask three three hydro guys that knew nothing, and they turn around and and order that instead. I literally had them quote out a Spectrum King quote. Uh, and then the next day had pallets of HIDs arrive. I, the level of stupidity you have with some people is just incredible where, you know, and they don't, under, and then, then the first thing they'll do is blame their consultants when yeah. they didn't order what they, even though you gave them the serial number of the thing they needed to order and they ordered the, something else instead. And it's like, well, I can't fix stupid, you know. You have the two extremes of people who take advantage of consultants. You're the scapegoat. Yeah. You're the savior or your savior or the, now we've learned enough from them. We're just not going to call them back. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like we, 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 we've stolen every idea we could from you. Thank you. Now go. Um, yeah. yeah. It, well, as many people with good hearts, there are just as many with bad hearts or more that get into any business for where there's money involved. Uh, consistency, appreciation for the crop and your results those are the people that get somewhere that last. Yeah. Um, I've met guys like, you know, Tommy Chong, then one of the nicest little old guys you ever meet. He is truly passionate about cannabis. Yes, he does it a joke. If you actually had a good talk with him, the guy's 16 miles from stupid. He is a brilliant, brilliant man, you know? And his son Paris is super cool. They, they, they know weed. That's what they do, you know? Um, Willie Nelson knows weed. Snoop Dogg, you know, hear him talk. Snoop Dogg. Yeah, Willie. 
Willie's granddaughter does a lot of the actual day-to-day stuff for no, uh, yeah, no, Willie's Reserve. I've, I've spoken to her on three separate occasions. She's incredibly knowledgeable. Yeah, but but one of the funniest things ever was 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 Snoop Dogg talking about trying to smoke Willie out and not being able to keep up with him. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't, you know somebody who's been smoking weed for thirty years. Willie's the original gangster. He's just a country gangster. You know, he's been in there for 60 years. <laughs> can't, can't even touch him. Like, I know. Oh, yeah. uh, people who are passionate about it, you bring something new to the table, you'll have your haters and your naysayers. But when you establish that it really does work and it really is a good thing, whether it's your own blend of nutrients, microbials, lighting, technique, approach. I mean, when guys first grafted plants, they thought it was like necromancy. Like it was like mad scientists. They're crazy. When they saw it worked, it became the norm. You know, any procedure that's new that you've established a new way of doing things always gets hate hated on first. I mean, for LED lighting, the amount of verbal abuse and death threats I got five, six years ago was ridiculous. That same guy is using my lights now. And saying how good they work. Where he told me to, you know, basically shove it where the sun doesn't sign and maybe, you know, go kill yourself, basically, and, and not even just horrifically bad verbal assaults. And everyone's tough on the internet. So you get a lot of you guys, you know, you have a thousand people like you, and that one guy who doesn't, they remember him because he was so violent, so aggressive, so over the top that they're not gonna forget the guys, hey, I love your stuff. Oh, yeah. cool. I've had I've had me and a couple of other people that and hey i think all of us in the cannabis community have snapped on someone that have just trolled them one too many times and i'm guilty of that as and i'm happy to admit that too uh you do have some people that straight up just don't know how to behave and, and sometimes right. it's the owner of a business sometimes it's an internet troll but sometimes you got people that just push and push and push thankfully they invented this thing called the block button and the ban button and you can just make them not exist and if they want to talk shit, let them talk shit. But what you can do in return is talk education uh, and, and actually, you know, show people you can do X, Y, and Z. Four and, a half year, four and a half years ago, a guy was going to kill me. Said it all over the internet, all over the place, called here, hating on, screaming at me. So one day he called and I answered the phone. You're a Spectrum King. And he said, I'm going to, blah, blah, you know, all this. I'm a veteran and I know how to kill people unless that, blah, blah, and you felt this. And I said, so why are you mad? Simply put, why are you mad? I got one of your lights and it didn't work. How did you use it? Tells me, go, you use it wrong. Don't tell me how to grow, bro. I haven't grown for this and I know my shit and this, that I'm going to fucking kill you. Where are you? I said, well, here's my real name. Here's my address. Here's my personal phone number. Get in a car, start driving. You're gonna kill me. Let's get this over with. Okay, just get your ass down here and kill me. Let's get this done. I got shit to do otherwise. Never heard from him again. No hate online or anything else. Cause he wanted to vent. I let him vent, and then I told him what's up. You know, if if you didn't drive a cor- if you got a Corvette and you floored it at a light while turning left and spun out and hit a truck, it's not the Corvette's fault. Right. If, if you have a room full of HPSs, you've been growing the same way for 20 years and it's 73 degrees and 40 percent humidity. You put an LED, an LED light in the middle of those HPSs. It's going to suck. You're not going to get great results. 
use the tool as it's supposed to be used. Whether it's a knife, a gun, a car, a nutrient, a fish. If you know what they're supposed to do and you give them the, the tools that succeed in the, the ensemble, that's when the magic happens. A little bit of homework, true. But if you want the results, I had a guy three years ago, one of our first customers get three and a half pounds of light with our SK600. People, no way, you can't do that with an LED. Do you want to meet him? Do you want to go to his grow? What? He'll show you. You want to go to his grow? I have three guys now. I have five guys now. I have 10 guys now. I got 20 guys now. Do you want to, do you want to go? Here's his Instagram. Here's his YouTube channel. Any, what, what else? Oh, maybe LEDs don't suck. Well, my friend says, I says, your friend a lighting manufacturer? No. Is your friend a grower? No. Then why the fuck would you listen to him? I, I, I'm not going to ask a master chef how to fix a transmission. But if he's oh, yeah, no. You know? I, re I recently had somebody who's grown indoor grows in a room using Canna Part A, Part B mm -hmm. and all that come in and think they know more about outdoor soil acreage. And it's like, well, you, you've done a very specific way with a very regimented coloring book, simple, you know, can't really fuck it up kind of way. And now you're trying to take something that has 10,000 more variables than the control, carefully controlled room. And, and, and just, it, it's just, it's mind boggling. And, and people need to understand that there's a, that you're, you're trying to do two completely different things and they aren't the same creature. They're, they're, they're radically different. And a great example, there's in Oklahoma, I, I guarantee you at least 50% of the state learned what the word Satoria was last year. <laughs> wow. You know, I have a friend that runs 120,000 square foot grow. He is the master grower there. And before they hired him, they went through three or four growers and they were all just, man, this guy, man. and they, they tell me, well, this guy, he did a great thing. I went to his house. He showed me what he could do. I go, wait, you went to his house? You hired a grower who grows in his house to run a 120,000 square foot facility? That's not, that's not his fault. That's your fault. You got to, you, you want to hire somebody that's going to grow a big facility. He better, he better show you three or four big facilities he worked at because the economies of scale and process don't come from growing in a 12 lighter in your garage. At the very least, a cut flower or, or some kind of, it doesn't have to even be cannabis, but show you've done greenhouse production. You know, right. before I did um, cannabis production, I worked at a place called Blood Good Landscape. We had eight greenhouses that mm -hmm. were huge, 100 by 30. You know, yeah. I got that, thank fuck I had that experience to cut my teeth on large scale nutrient, large scale IPM and, and actually managing the personnel of something like that, because yeah. it's a, again, way different than running two rooms that have eight lights. Well, like I had one commercial facility that's indoor grow. And as you know, as an old rule back in the day, in the black market days, we would say, if you had a decent work, a decent worker, one worker could handle 30 lights a night. We'd run our lights at night. One guy can end up the 30 lights a night. If he knows if he, you know, he's, he's good in his shit. Well, somebody hears that and goes, I got a greenhouse. I got 300 lights. I have 10 guys. They can't get it done. I'm like, okay, an indoor grow, 300 light, 30 lights. Let's just, you know, keep it simple here. That's 480 square feet. Okay. Or, you know, like you're, you're not 4,800 square feet, excuse me. That's a good size room for someone to work in. 
Now you're putting that same person in an 8,000 or 10,000 square foot bay and expecting them to cover the same amount of real estate in the same amount of time. Not going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know officially now that that's struggling because they're convinced that's right. And our well, especially, are, especially, and I'm glad we were, we're on this topic too. That's another big problem. I see owners, they, they demand things happen on a set schedule. It has to happen because the finances need to be. And it's like, cool, the plants aren't done yet. The plants have a week and a half. And if you chop them now, you're going to literally cut off 60% of your yield. But, you know, because they pack that weight on those last two, three weeks, you know, on those trichome head, that's when those trichomes are plumping up, you know. Uh, uh, what, I love how Frenchie's uh, uh, analogy of, hey, they're apples, right? They might be green, they might be yellow, they might be red, but they have to reach that certain plump maturity size for that strain, and, and it's going to vary. Some are going to be small apples, some are going to be large apples, some of them are going to be, you know, uh, maybe you want to pick them a little earlier because that's when the flavor is a little bit better. You know, you have to learn the strain or the yeah. cultivar. So, and it's not as coloring book simple. And, and hey, you know what? The plants don't give a shit about your schedule. The plants hey. don't give a shit about bank accounts. The plants you don't care about anything human-related. The plants are done when they're done. And right. that's the you know something else that's just, hey, it might need to go another week because it, it's colder this time of year. In the wintertime, yeah. you might have to add oh. a week. In the summertime, you might subtract one. The greenhouse you know? guys give me shit. And I'm telling let's say I said this past winter, I go, yeah, it was a 63-day strain last summer. It's not a 63-day strain in this environment. It's too fucking cold in here. And it goes, or even angle of the sun, what might be a 63-day strain in Jamaica might not be in Alberta. Hell no. You know, but, but yeah, it's a combination. Coming back to my recipe thing earlier, I don't want to beat it like a dead horse, but the right set of variables have to be, you know, temperature, humidity, feed, pH, light intensity, you know, it all has to be in balance to hit the home run. Your cost of production in winter, you use more electricity, but you lose less water because there's less evaporation, but the plants are going to go slower. You don't expect the same yield. I mean, if you ask a greenhouse manufacturer that, that's built a bunch of greenhouses for cannabis, he'll tell you winter 15, maybe if you're good, 20, 25 grams per square foot, summer you should get 35. Well, it's not rocket science to a little math to figure out what that means if you have X square feet. Well, if someone's bought a greenhouse and they've, they've gone indoor, which is the equivalent of a summertime grow and gotten those killer yields and they expect to get that every single grow, you can only get that every single grow in a controlled environment. A greenhouse is not a 100% controlled environment or you spend an F ton of money and you pick the good spot to put it, you know, um, except that the plants, the coming back to what we said before, the plants tell you everything, when they're ready, what they need. If you're attentive, they'll pay you back. It might be 63 days this time, 67 next time, 59 the time after that, and 71 at the time after that. But if you if the consistency in the end result, a, a good master grower, he'll tell you, oh, this this is 67 days this time, but it, it needed four more days. But those four more days made a world of difference. That's what you talked about earlier, Stephen, about the balance and the trichomes and the plumping. Four days makes a world of difference. If someone's going to chop it down 10 days early, it's like, okay, well, you get what you get. Well, I mean, if you're chopping 10 days early, you might as well. You've just wasted an incredible amount of time and money and labor. An yeah. incredible yeah. amount. 
But if someone's headstrong and they say, well, this is supposed to be done in 61 days, well, not this cycle. It was, it was, it needed 72 this time. And you, you just negated the, all that work, but Hey. Oh yeah. No, last, last year I had a guy that in, insisted the plant. So they were, they were a day behind on irrigation and uh, they insisted it had to, had to start on Monday. Couldn't wait till Tuesday, even though the irrigation wasn't done, put it in an acre, everything was dead by two o'clock, you know? And it's just like, cool. Glad you killed 2000 plants to prove a point. You that was why did we do that? You know, this is just stupid. That magnitude of, like you said, there's no, there's, you can't fix stupid. I mean, that magnitude of ignorance. No, and, and this is, you got people that blindly charge ahead and they don't understand. We're dealing with living organisms. They don't care about any artificial timeline other than their own biological one. Yeah. And that's the only one that you, everything else bends that, to that. And that's, that's how it works. That that's all that matters. Listen, watch, and learn. Um, as the, 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 the irony being is my hearing gets worse, my eyesight gets worse, the, the, the closer attention I pay to plants. Because when I was younger, I didn't know enough. And as I learned more over time, I mean, just to paint a picture for those, if you're new to growing and you ever grew before, I mean, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, if you got two pounds of light, you were a fucking rock star. You were like the man on the street. You were taking ass and taking names and you were the kingpin and they were to listen to you because that's how it's done. Well, that's what a rookie gets in a four by four tent in his first grow now with, with the right, if he, all he did was go to growweedeasy.com, it's a real website and read somebody's recipe and follow it. And as simple as that, like he's baking a cake, he followed an established, confirmed recipe from a valid source. There's a whole lot of recipes from bad sources. Um, I got threatened by another dude because he screwed up his grow and he was convinced it was a light. And I said, bring me your feed regime. Let's see what's going on here. Maybe I can help you with that. My friend, I have friends who are nutrient salesmen. You know, I know all the new companies will work something out because we want you to succeed. The guy comes in, I read his recipe. And my friend Chad was with me and he goes, bro, give me that. And he goes, what the fuck, bro? Are you, are you, what the, and I said, yeah, he's got three NPKs. Yeah. He's got the, like this nutrient store, this, this hydro shop dude had completely hoodwinked this poor guy. He was buying 27 bottles per cycle and there were multiple duplicates. This, this hydro store owner had no soul, no heart, no conscience, and he was just taking his dude's money, can be pumping sunshine, and this is how you do it. I went to a grow last year, and the head grower didn't know how to balance the pH of their nutrient solution. The, I, I was there for two hours, and I called the owner, and I said, fire this guy. This, the, he doesn't belong here. That'd be, that'd be like a cop saying, um, what are handcuffs, and is, is this a gun? I mean, like, yeah, what, what do I, where do I put the bullets? Right, right, you know, do I have to spit these out? What has it work? How could you get the job? Who, who could hire someone in, 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 a, in a, an actual? Oh, because they're the, they're the, the out of state expert who came from the state where it's legal and that gives them an automatic expert pass. Well, I can see that. I got, um, I was in Denver. Well, a bunch of times, but one of the, I guess it'd be about two and a half years ago. Yeah, it was January, I think. It was the beginning of January, so two and a half years ago. Um, and silly me, I said, yeah, who's got some good weed? 
and guys very proudly, you know, put forth their wares. And I, I, I politely looked at it and my buddy was with me and he looks at me and he's like, what do we say, man? This shit's awful. I go, I was just say thanks. Thank you. And, uh, you know, Hey, I'm going to just nice seeing you. I'm going to go get something to eat and yeah, be polite, yeah. and just going, Oh fuck. There's gotta be somebody here. Oh, this dude came from California, man. He knows how to grow. And I met the guy and he starts talking and I know why he left California because he would never get a job here in the industry. And he talked his way into one there, but you know, he didn't last long there either. I, I heard a few months later that he was, he was canned from that. Um, and I've met some other guys that are generations deep. Like the, you met know, the dude from Humboldt. I'm pretty sure he's the son of somebody and the, your grandson or, or, you know, somebody that's been growing for generations. And those guys are the people of the land. They know how to grow outdoors. I'm not going to attempt to compete with him, but if I put him in an environment he's not familiar with, he's going to suffer just like anyone else because he knows that world he came from. He knows the environment. He knows that, that, that humidity comes in at night. I knew guys up there that had leaf blowers and they were drying their plants off at 9 p.m. at night with power generators playing music loud, thinking people wouldn't realize what they were doing because it was too damn wet. They didn't want but rud rot, you know, bud rot and mold using leaf blowers and hair dryers. And then I met another guy who was a genius. I, you know, um, in Salinas, California, you know, it's lots of commercial farms and greenhouses, but they have that massive marine layer that comes in and hangs like every night and every morning and settles there. And uh, he was like, dude, we were spending so much money treating things. We thought it was this, or was that. He goes, then I figured, why don't I just create some natural convection, but not underneath the plants on the tables, right at the top of the pot. And he ran copper tubes with aluminum fins on it with warm water that was warmer than the air outside. Not boiling, not crazy hot, just a few degrees warmer in the air outside. And that natural convection dried out the inside of the plants and he never, never once had any mold issues or bud rot. He spent a lot of money on, on fueling his uh, boiler, which was massive because his greenhouse was really big. But I thought that's the kind of shit I want to know more of. This guy taught me something I never would have thought of. That's genius. And just because I was open to it and wanted to learn and he was excited to explain it because somebody was interested in how he did it. He told me the whole thing just because I it was, I was fascinating. I'm thinking, why didn't I? Duh. It's like the little kid that walks up to the accident of a truck stuck under a bridge and everyone's trying to figure out what a crane and this, that. And he goes, let the air out of the tires. And the cop goes, the kid's right. The truck will drop a foot and we can pull it right out. All those adults were tripping on how to do stuff and get a crane and get a tow truck and a winch and all this stuff. And a, and a little kid just said, just let the air in the tires. And he was right. A solution to every problem. If you allow yourself to see it from other people's eyes. I solve a lot of solutions. My, my title is a solution provider. I didn't give it to myself. It was given to me. But the... The idea being is that your head has to be open to and you have to be willing to see and accept because you're going to fuck up. <laughs> train wrecks, I know them. <laughs> I've been involved in them. I've had people try to take me down with their train wrecks, as I'm sure you have as well. And uh, you have to learn. As I say, one of my favorite things is going forward, I know what not to do. And that's more important than knowing what to do. 
Because if you know what or not to do. knowing what you don't know. Yes. But knowing what not to do will save you so much pain. You've learned it. Hit your head hard enough to remember that hurts. Don't do that again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Re repetition is the key to success. Understanding all the variables. And when you establish a path that works, that's why you meet these growers that aren't going to change your recipes. They've been doing it for a long time. Are they the best of the best? No, but in the black market days, we were all in our little bubble. You know, it wasn't like you go outside and talk about it and pump your pump your chest. Your little clique of friends that knew you. Well, you were the, you were a provider for that network. And if you were if you stepped outside your network, you ran the risk of being popped. <laughs> so, those who were brave, you know, let's just say I know plenty of nice people with arrest records. Um, it happened. The world's changed. We can share information, we can be open about it, which I find awesome. So to be able to explain things and have someone teach me something new in the process of exchanging information, is, it's a win-win. I mean, the past few years, so much good info has come out. You know, um, I went to lectures and saw, heard so many people speak and I heard some really cool stuff and I heard some absolute buffoonery from people with three, four PhDs. And not wanting to cause a scene, I had a chance to talk to some of them later and it ended up being a kind of a, how do you want to put it? A gentle beatdown as I proved my point and they got angry and other than other specialists came over and said, he's this, this, this guy's right. This point is wrong. That's wrong. You said this, this, and the other thing. Well, I didn't mean that. Well, that's what you said. Oh yeah. You're a specialist. Well, I, you're talking up there, you said this. I wouldn't have said anything to you had you not said that specific point, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. I actually went to a talk by a gentleman named Eric Mather last year uh, specifically to troll him because I thought he was the next Mowgli. Hmm. And uh, I sat and listened to his whole talk, and I realized this guy isn't like that at all. And I went and talked to him afterwards, and he thought I was just some dude bro. And we talked to each other for five minutes and we both realized we were like the only other person in the entire room that could have some of the conversations we wanted to have. And we <laughs> ended up closing out an after hours at like 4.30 in the morning that very same day because we literally were so enthralled with each other's conversation that we could not get away. We could not get back to our hotel rooms because we, we kept going. <laughs> so it's funny how sometimes the people that you end up Thinking that you disagree with end up being your best friends, or maybe not even your best friends, but people that you end up connecting on or learning from or getting insight from in some way that that just totally changes the way that you think about something. Or 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 maybe you thought they were a very specific mindset that they are on the polar opposite end of, and you just had this you were told wrong by someone else. You, you catch a snippet of information from somebody and you, and you paint a picture in your mind as to who they are from that snippet of information. Once you allow yourself to accept more information about the person, then you meet the person. You know, I met people I thought were really cool as hell and I met them in person. I thought they were just douchebags and ended up being, they were just having a really bad day and they didn't know how to handle it. And I met them another time and they were like, oh dude, no, I went through, I, my mother died that week. And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't know all this stuff. I understand, you know, but I've met some people who are, treated as well-known authorities in a subject and um i wouldn't let them babysit a fucking dog you know after speaking to them in person so 
some people write really well, but speak poorly. Some people speak really well and write poorly. Some people are very charming and convincing. Doesn't necessarily mean they're always right. Um, things I believed I, that were disproven, I had to accept and move on from. Things that I didn't know, like you said, knowing what you don't know. Um, I like to take as much in as possible, but sometimes it just doesn't sink. It doesn't gel with the ideas I've had for over a certain period of time. And it takes a while to go, you know what? That dude was right. I just did, I didn't get where he was coming from. It's not rare that happens. Every once in a while, you meet somebody and just, they're just in a different wavelength, whether it's higher or lower or just, you know, parallel to where you're at. Um, there's insights to take from it if you allow yourself. I guess you call it that. The biggest problem that most men have is we, we're in our own way. We want to establish some form of social dominance and feel like we're important. So we don't always listen. Listening will change everything in your world if you allow yourself to do it. And coming from somebody like myself with a big mouth, it's hard to believe, but yeah. Um, oh yeah, be, be, you know, you're gonna be wrong sometimes. And as long as you can accept the fact that you are wrong sometimes, uh, but also know when you're done. I'll be the guy going, this, this, this idiot said that. I was that idiot. Yeah, that's the one who said that. That was me. Uh, I, I'll yeah. own up my stupid because every once in a while I come out with one or like one of my good friends or you know also what I'll leave my, I won't throw him under the bus this way. He has ADD and he's thinking so many different things at once that he will blurt something out like Tourette's syndrome and be utterly convinced he said this, but in fact he said the exact opposite. And he will fight with you tooth and nail and argue with you. And one of the best things ever was we recorded him. We played it back to him. And he goes, I didn't say that. I go, that's your voice saying it. What do you mean you didn't say it? He goes, that's my voice. I'm like, yes, that's you. And he went, oh, that's not what I meant. I go, well, it's a bit late for that now. But, you know, maybe stop, take a deep breath and focus the thought if you can. Um, learning is what we all should be doing forever. Anyone who's settled and thinks they know it all, they're done. Because new, you know, to quote the Big Lebowski, new shits come to light, man. You know, there's there's plenty of new cool things that we can take and apply towards our little corner that we're working in in this 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 industry. Well, um, that and especially to look outside your disciplines. If you're a soil guy, occasionally read up on the hydro and the aquaponic shit. If you're an aquaponic guy, learn about living soil, like like, like the concepts, and 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 it might not be a direct application but understand the concepts that increasing microbial biodiversity, regardless of whether or not you're doing it through aquaponics or living soil will both get you similar, awesome results. Um, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter the method. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the finish line, the, the goal that you're trying to achieve. As long as you're, you're, you're aiming at the same thing, you can achieve it a couple of different ways. Right. When, if I told you that I know someone who got 11.6 confirmed dry weight pounds in a four by eight tray, what method and how many plants do you think he would have used and had? I would probably say some kind of hydro aeroponic or aquaponic, not soil, and probably with CO2 and, and not organic, if I had to guess. Um, 
128 single cola plants, no veg whatsoever in a terraced based inverted V garden with a custom lighting system where we're designing for him. He got 11.6 pounds. How old was this person? You know, in the 20s or 30s. No, he was well into his 70s. And he's pissed because he's Canadian. He can't come here because of COVID. Um, his wife won't let him leave the house, won't let him travel anymore. And she's like, no, you're not going. Uh, he uh, stumbled into cannabis as a retiree, quietly for his own personal pain management. He was an engineer and he figured out a few things and uh, he proved himself quite right. Um, but, it's, but the problem with his system is, yes, you get those yields, but it is unbelievably sensitive high maintenance. So, you know, one person could not work 30 trays a night. One person could work four trays. So that's 32 feet by four feet. Well, if you have a 10,000 square foot facility, you need a whole lot of bodies to get that. Yes, the yield's there, but when I did the cost analysis per square foot and man hours handling everything else, as fantastic as that yield sounded, it wasn't as efficient as a deep water culture six bucket system that's getting you, you know, or your, your system that's getting you this comparable, you know, not, maybe not that big a yield, but if you get six, seven pounds with one guy handling a whole damn bay. Well, I can, I can tell you that it, it, at Organic Innovations, they were averaging between 1.8 and, you know, 3.4 inches per day in veg all day long every single day like it solid it, you had some strains that were pushing it farther now with this heat we were having some that were actually breaking four inches which was really impressive um but again you, you're you're only going to get those speeds with aquaponics hydroponics or aeroponic you're not going to get that with soil it just doesn't you don't have the gas exchange rate to support that growth speed and it just simply comes down to that now maybe in theory if you could find a way to inject enough air into your soil zone but how you could do that in a way that was evenly distributed would be next to impossible you'd have to have multiple layers of air stones within your soil bed which would be psychotic i mean you 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 could do it but it would be like a lab experiment not a practical application it would be it would be like it like the heat pipes used in my heat sinks for my lights that passive cooling You'd have to have heat pipes pumped into a wet tray at the bottom through the soil to oxygenate on a perpetual bubbler to, to turbocharge the root stuff, take like that. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I, I, so I, on that I, note, I, we actually did a side-by-sides at Aquaponic Source where we did dual root zone pots where we put an air stone with an airline in the bottom of every single pot. Mm -hmm. And then we did it against the control with none. It was a 3% difference. So unless you're doing a really big scale, in which case this gets very cost prohibitive yeah, and yeah. the maintenance on that gets quite labor cost prohibitive. It's, it's simply not 128 plants in a financially plant. viable. But imagine 128 plants in a system that is so fine tuned and so many moving parts that to keep it 100% perfect is a nonstop job. Yeah. Well, so, so I've found that it takes, at least with the method I do, one person can run about 1,500 to 2,000 square feet and keep it defoliated, topped, looking good, trellised, 
and inspected, scouted for insects and, and, and watered and, and generally maintained. Now you could, if someone's skilled, they could do three to 4,000 if they're seasoned cannabis person, but beyond that, you're really pushing it. And, and again, they need some kind of support. You know, they're going to need a helper a couple now and then, and obviously harvest any, any kind of move, you know, is, is going to need additional labor, but in terms of strictly maintenance wise, you know, that, that's, that's spreading real thin with people that know what the fuck they're doing. I call it angry crab day. When you just start plucking off extra fan leaves, you know, just pinch, 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 pinch. Well, you know, you know what I do is what we've been doing out here lately is that look, okay. It's fucking hot as balls, you know, after a certain temperature. So, okay, we're going to work up until it's hot as balls and you can't work outside or in the greenhouse anymore. And then we're going to jump into the mom room or one of the flower rooms and we're going to defoliate with the whole team. So we're going to have eight people or 12 people and it's going to take us one to two hours to just maul through the room and be done. And then it takes us one day every one to two weeks to just plow through the room and be done with it. We don't think about it again. Um, that, that's the easier way to handle it. I know a lot of people like to put one person in charge of a room. That's insane. Just take your team, plow through a space, make sure everyone's on the same page and just maul it and move on. Uh, you'll important. get te- you'll get you'll get an extra one to two rooms done per day if you just put everyone on the task. Will. The camaraderie and the laughter and the teamwork and the, and the natural co- human competition will make them. And people sync up. People people will put people that have their strengths in the different positions that they're strong at, and and put people that are weak at certain positions. Like I have a couple of people that can do seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred clones or a thousand clones or fourteen hundred clones on a good day, fifteen hundred clones on the easy plants, on on a single day on a on a six to eight hour shift. I have other people that can't break four or 500, right? So they're going to be on potting because they do really be- much better on repotting, right? So if you're slow on cloning, I'm going to put you on repotting. I, I, I need to have more people repotting than cloning anyway. For every two people cloning, I need to have at least six people repotting in order to support that labor-wise unless I have a potting machine. So I, you know, if I'm scaling this, I, I need to have that support team. So I don't care if someone's particularly good or bad at something as long as I have enough good people at, at the task I need to have yeah. you good at, I don't give a shit. <laughs> that, that's how you have to balance your workflow and your team. And, and this is where you know, you get owners that want to micromanage stuff that don't understand basic workflow of, of plant and, and you ends up with, you know, you can compound problems real quick. Listen, if you have a, a lucky first grow and everything went just smooth, then now you now the outside person who threw money at this thing now thinks that's how it done that's how it should be, and then next time around, somebody dirty comes in. You got mites. You got this. You got that. You have management. You have yield, your yields affected. Your plant quality is affected. Everyone's stressed. The plants are stressed. Now suddenly he's yelling at people because this is how it's supposed to be done. This last time you did this. Last time you did that. I said last time we didn't have mites. Last time we didn't have this. You know. Um, if they're not willing to accept that it's a living environment and that it's, if you don't implement all the proper procedures, like you said earlier about your checklist, the things they need to do, if you pick cherry pick three things you want to do, cause you like those three things, but there's 10 things in the list, you're not going to get that success that the 10 things. Or, will get. What do you, what do you mean? We, we did this three runs before and we didn't get powdery mildew. Well, yeah, but you also ran different strains. And you've completely changed your pest management program three separate times since then. So please tell me what it is that's the same. The physical location is about the only thing. 
<laughs> Sad but true. No, but but when you have people that that simply don't understand farming or agriculture, I I absolutely can understand in a different frame of mind how that would make sense to someone that doesn't understand biology and agriculture. Yeah, I get it, but it, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> and and that's I don't understand why they have all these black market people that think it's some kind of license to print money and don't understand that it's we're having to do a living. Maybe I have a better understanding of it coming from the aquaculture slash aquarium world and dealing with coral, a very expensive coral and thousand dollar fish and, and, and all kinds of stuff where that was the, the only thing that mattered and, mm-hmm. and everything else be damned. It has to live or I can't sell it. You know what I mean? That's uh, this, how do you put this? Standing outside the sandbox and thinking that's how people should play inside it is generally not successful. If someone's an investor and they want to micromanage, they don't micromanage the stock market. They don't micromanage their their bank. So why do they think it's okay to micromanage something they don't know anything about? The guys they find who are successful like I know a guy who owns like six different businesses. He got into cannabis in Nevada like four years ago. And when I first met him, he didn't know jack shit. But he knew he didn't know jack shit and he was okay with it. And he was gonna find people that were gonna show him and he was gonna keep trying until he found the people that did the shit the way that worked. And uh, he finally got to a good crew of people and he knows the system in and out. Um, you know, he's, he's like the same age. So, you know, life experience wise, he's been through a whole lot of things, but He's not the same guy he was four years ago. He was open to completely changing his own inner world and how he sees and does things because he admitted he was a fish out of water in this industry. And he would ask all kinds of questions and he said, I'm sorry if I'm being redundant, but I have to understand this. And it was like, I appreciate you asking again and making sure. Thank you for being thorough and asking to make sure you got it so I don't have to tell you again and again and again, no, there's anyone else. Now you got it. And now he's saying, hey, now I have to do this after that. And this happened here. And I said, not to pick on this, this location, but I said, um, your electrician is, he'd be fired from the circus. I said, this, this guy is, is an absolute incompetent clown. Oh, but he's a nice guy. I said, but he's a nice guy who's costing you probably a million dollars of negative this year. And he stepped back and thought about it. And then two weeks later, I went there and he goes, he's not here anymore. But I had this other guy and I, the other guy was way better, but he had his eyes on bigger fish. He was going to leave, you know, he was, and he did. Then he got yet another guy. And I loved it. The other guy said, hey, man, there's problems with these lights and this system. And I, I can you explain to me how this thing works? Because I don't understand. I go, oh, no, no, no. You're getting DC voltage output from the back of this. You're not going to put AC. He's like, oh, and then what is it? And I said, no, you're not, no. You're taking 480 volt three phase in, but on this particular system, it's 252 volts DC. And you can't just randomly put more lights on. It doesn't auto adjust. It doesn't count lights. It's sending X current and amperage to this line, to that line, to that line, to that line, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to change this group to a different number of lights, I have to reprogram that module 
to a different current level. And he goes, oh man. And I said, here's how the place is supposed to be wired. And the owner said, no one ever told us that. And I said, really? So if I showed you something with your signature on it and dated, would you change your mind? And he went, yeah. And I went, here's your signature and your former electrician, the one I told you was a joker signature on the plans that our engineer Jeff and I gave you. Because I don't remember that. I said, I'm sorry you don't. I've told you about it enough times. Now that we have a guy here who actually gets it, I want to fix these rooms. So every couple of cycles, I go there and, re and have rewire room to do it right and put things in right. And now he gets it. But from four years ago to now, he's a different dude. He's, he's learned all this stuff, but he was open to learning it. It's super important to be open to it. I would love to find a new control system that fits our world better. You know, there's commercial ag systems that use are great for greenhouses, but for other crops, you know, I'm not going to take one of those commercial Canadian farm systems and expect to grow orchids. You know, uh, it, 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 we, so here's are, a question. Let me ask you this. What, what are the different lighting requirements for orchids versus cannabis? I'd love to know that just as someone who okay. loves orchids. Well, the irony of orchids is they're as different as species of humans. So they are really um, longitude, latitude, altitude specific lighting requirements. Um, they're environmental variables. Um, a company in Holland, I showed them they could get better looking colors and things, but they weren't going to switch because they're known as the long stemmed orchid company. And my lights would have made their orchids shorter and more colorful because of the intensity. Um, there's an actual uh, orchid growers group that got in touch with us years ago and we developed a couple of small lights. And what we found out was that the equatorial, all the equatorial um, species of orchids can go great with the same light as a cannabis, like, like really good. They'll be a bit shorter, but there's amazing, amazing colors. But, you know, they're doing this, the spritz in them a bunch of times a day. But there are some other orchids which come from further north that are light sensitive. You know, they grow more in shade and on trees, actually. Like these, some of these orchids don't grow on the ground. They go in. And those ones, they're not getting full intensity. They're getting residual through other plant tissue. So you, you really have to almost pick uh, a cover crop, no pun intended, but as in cover from the top, a bigger plant to shine light on and allow the light to trickle through for them. So there's no one size fits all. It's more drastic than cannabis. There are variations in the orchid families. And I, I just saw stuff I learned the past few years because people asked us questions and I went, I don't know. So I better find out because if another guy wants an orchid light, I want to know I, if I sell him the orchid light for the equatorial bright ones and I kill his plants. When I found out what some of those plants go for, have you spoken to orchid people? Oh yeah, no, orchids Jesus. and carnivorous plants, especially I've been really getting into Nepenthes. In fact, that was something that I, I was, I've been getting into pretty hardcore as Nepenthes uh, lately. Um, it, and a shout out to B-Love for, uh, for his awesome Nepenthes that he has going out there. Um, uh, they're really, I mean, they, they vary so widely and, and, and especially with the carnivorous plants, they, that, that was something that I was about to ask you. Um, is that have you done any work with 
with anyone doing carnivorous plants and and honestly what have I, have not. I have not i have not i would be i'd love to look into it if you have some links or stuff you can point me towards i'll, I'll definitely dive into it because i'm curious um yeah, the um if anyone out there is looking for a good resource for for youtube as far as uh, carnivorous plants there's a, a guy named red fern expeditions or red fern river red fern something or other um who does a youtube channel and he does they have an expedition company and they do these hikes like like two or three week hikes where they go and they they go to areas that have undocumented pitcher plants and undocumented you know venus flytraps and un undocumented gyros uh, um uh, and, and and you know all the different ones and the carnivorous plant realm and uh uh, you know, he's the one who discovered um, uh, Droth, or, um, uh, Nepenthes atenborii and, and stuff like that. So he's the one who named it uh, and stuff like that. So su super cool channel and really cool guy. I can't remember the guy's name off, off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, if you're looking to learn more about specifically um, carnivorous plants, and they can be great in a cannabis grow, specifically aquaponics as well, just keep them separated from that nitrogen-rich water. They have to be in a completely sealed pot do not put them in with the aquaponic water; they will die. It's completely different acid. Acidity yeah, they, they can't handle the nitrogen at all. They'll kill them real quick. Mm -hmm. But if you if you have some honeydew plants, you got fungus gnats, or or even flying uh, rice root aphids, Drosseras are incredibly good at sucking up uh, large amounts of rice root aphids per day. Um, you know, if you just want a general, especially if you're in the South, anywhere in the South, you will have to deal with rice root aphids as a, a normal pest that's going to be as common as thrips or anything else that you're used to dealing with. It's just going to come into your grow eventually as a hitchhiker or through your ventilation, you know, some gap in your ventilation. Um, it, it's one of the best ways to kind of keep them at bay and make sure that they're not ever getting established. Wow. <laughs> Because well, they, 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 they're, they're hyper attracted to the nectar on that plant. So the flying, the scouts. So you have to remember with, with rice root aphids, they, they generally enter your grove by a flying winged scout. Now, they only produce winged scouts when they're in hyper population levels and are high enough to move to, to that, that almost like locusts. They go to the winged form when they're in too hot population. So they're, they're, that's, the, that's the first one that's going to enter your grove. In most, unless you bring a plant in that's infected. Um, so if I can kill him or, or make it to where it's, it's really shitty for him right away, that, that's going to be your best bet. And by, uh, I thought, where was I starting off with that? Sorry, I'm just tired. I didn't catch it. It broke up for a second there. Uh, I, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Where was I? You're talking about the carnivorous plant and get how to get the. Oh yes, yes, yes. So, so with the Drosseras, um, they, they they love the smell of that sweet nectar. So when you have those initial scouts that come in, they immediately get attacked. You know, uh, stuck to the Drosseras, uh, or the honeydew plant. Drosseras, the genus for the whole group of them. Um, mm -hmm. They they get immediately attracted to them and and you know immediately removed from your grow before they ever actually have a chance to get established. Um, so I've actually planted them on a four separate groves that I've worked at, along with a couple of hanging basket nepenthes uh, in the groves to attract, you know, fungus gnats, root aphids, other things that might just find their way through the ventilation um, and, and actively attract them through through scent and, and, and you know, actual attractant. 
in a way that's just visually pretty to have around and they're not attract you know they don't spider mites and other mites don't particularly like them um fung you know they're not growing powdery mildew they're not attracting a lot of the other issues that would normally be a problem and they don't really pick off a lot of your beneficials either listen i hate to, I hate to cut you off here but this, this this customer's been calling for the past couple hours no you're fine it's, it's quite late out there it's it's after midnight in my time so I'll let you go. Um, why don't you tell everybody how to find you and uh, if they want to find out more about BioCat uh, uh, solutions or they want to find out more about Spectrum King or uh, if they want to reach you directly with their grow questions. Um, well, if you have grow questions, just... I mean, you or lighting questions, I guess. Grow, lighting, they go in. And, you know, obviously, I get a lot of emails from around the world, but I'll, I'll answer as many as I possibly can. Um, it's just Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N at spectrumkingled.com you know email um you know if you want to if it if you have microbial questions you can send them to me at brendan at biocat b-i-o-c-a-t.us um it's a you know i either company i'm you know i'm on all the time doing stuff i'm pretty much on the phone or an email perpetually i barely sleep because i have so much stuff going on so it's a I mean, a valid question, I'll answer them. If you know, obviously the, the price of tea in China, I'm not going to answer that question because that, that's there's plenty of Chinese people who can answer that for me. But if you have something specific about lighting or, you know, introductory grow or how do I use this? Sure, send it on in. I mean, uh, I wish I had people to answer my questions back in the day so I wouldn't have ruined so many plants. <laughs> would have been nice. <laughs> I learned a lot ruining plants, but uh, I would have preferred not to ruin so many. Just saying. Awesome. And I'll make sure those, those links for both companies are in the description uh, for anyone listening to this in audio format. I know probably 20 to, to 30 or 20 to 30 times our, our listenership is through the audio version versus the, the video. So um, we'll make sure the, those are on there. And then uh, um, thanks a lot again to Roger at trueaquaponics.com. Uh, uh, him and I both work on the subscription service. If you have a commercial grow, uh, be sure to check us out. We can get your nutrients uh, all straightened out via soil or aquaponics. We recently added soil nutrients for that as well. And then we're also soon going to be expanding into pest management recommendations. So we'll oh. be able to do pest management for you. So if you sign up with our service, we'll be able to do for additional fee on top of the nutrient management, we'll be able to do um, nutrient management. So we'll send you out a, a, a package. You're gonna, It's going to come with a microscope. And a couple of other things that you can identify what it is that you're looking at and send us proper pictures so that we can actually identify what it is that you're dealing with and then give you a regimen to solve the problems that you're running into. Uh, without those types of tools to properly identify it, I can't actually help you. So um, you sign up with the service, we send you a, a kit to get going and um, and then we, you know, we help you from month to month and then we you know, if you want to, we'll basically send you a recommendation on what you need, and then you can choose to purchase that or not. And that that's up to you. Um, we can go ahead and purchase that for you and have it, you know, set it up. It just depends on which option that you choose. Um, we can either give you other recommendation or we can do all the ordering for you. It just depends on how much control that you would like to have as a customer. So that's one of the new things that we're looking to add in the next 30 to 45 days on the website. We're, we're finalizing a couple of last things to make sure we can make sure every, sure all of our um, things that we need to help you will arrive on time. So we're working on a couple of contracts to make sure all of our fulfillment can happen on a schedule to make sure that we can ensure that your problems will be uh, uh, met with a solution on a timely manner.
Um, but we, we're hoping to have some public announcements on that soon. Um, we're, we're, we, we've had an enormous response with the nutrient management program and it's kind of uh, snowballed quite rapidly. There's a lot of demand for people that have aquaponic systems that simply just don't have that level of understanding that, that want to be successful. And it really is the, the thing that's kind of held a lot of people back on the commercial scale, be it growing lettuce or cannabis or anything in between. Um, so it kind of gives people a one-stop shop. They pay one flat fee, they get their water tested and a custom managed, a custom formulated nutrient management solution for their system. And we're going to be very soon expanding also into new pest management as well. So um, it's going to make it really simple. You can pay one flat price and have all your nutrients and all your pest management handled for your farm uh, as long as you give us accurate information, obviously, um, and send out your water samples on time. Uh, we got you. So uh, it's really going to help a lot of the people out there that are struggling with their commercial aquaponics just kind of fill a gap in knowledge that really is there in the market is really one of the things kind of holding back aquaponics. So we're going to help solve that firsthand uh, in a low cost way that just solves all the hard, hard problems and solves all the thinking and a lot of the, what do I do? You know, which is really what people run into and where they, they run into problems. And there isn't anyone else offering anything in an all-in-one solution for a low flat price. So it really is a kind of a one-stop shop. So definitely check that over at true aquaponics. Um, Check out uh, Spectrum King if you need lights for your grow. And uh, shout out to Marty who popped in there for a minute um, at AP Meds. Uh, his awesome uh, aquaponics. Um, Marty and I will, are uh, making quite a bit of headway on the commercial class. We're hoping to have that out uh, sooner than later. And then um, we'll have some cool announcements with Roger True Aquaponics. We have some systems and stuff that we're close to having ready. Um, we're going to start offering system sales and uh, some other cool stuff as well as full greenhouse systems. For, both, for commercial operations. So if you're looking for, you know, turnkey systems, we'll have those available uh, before too long as well through True Aquaponics. And uh, we'll be able to provide you, be it lettuce or cannabis or saffron or anything else that you want to grow uh, a turnkey solution with nutrient management, pest management, and equipment all in one, you know, one shebang, uh, about as easy as you can get. Because there are people that offer all, uh, you know, components of that, but they certainly don't offer uh, the level of, production and, and man nutrient management and everything else that we do. So, uh, and they have about a 10th of the data that I have. So <laughs> um, uh, that's really the key is, you know, normalizing and looking at huge data sets across, you know, a wide range of similar crops. And that's really what I've spent the last five to seven years working on and, and mashing out. So thanks a lot for everyone for joining us. Um, uh, we'll be back again soon. We have a, bunch of cool stuff coming we have a, a cool guest on thursday coming up and uh and uh look for us soon uh thanks a lot uh, you can find me at potent phonics soundcloud itunes youtube all the different places and uh, we'll catch you guys again on thursday take care <laughs>